Um, hey, my name's Nathan Wagnon. I'm on staff here. I'm the uh, director of equipping and apologetics. So I'm, my heart is with uh, our three teachers for this class for sure on hot topics. Well, definitely, they'll probably refer this uh, to you anyway, but in case they don't, I just wanted to make sure I give like that's that kind of, uh, you know, very intentional plug. <laughs> um, they're going to be talking about a lot of, obviously, uh, controversial or hot topic issues in this class today. Um, if you or anyone that you know um, is, is really wrestling through um, their questions regarding uh, the Christian faith, and you, you don't uh, either, one, if that's you, we would invite you to come. But then if you have a friend and you're, you're not really sure how to engage that person, we would ask that you bring your friend on Monday nights, every single Monday night. The only time we haven't met is like if they're if we're iced out and like nobody can actually physically get here. So every Monday night, we have somebody in the South Community Room. Which, if you're looking at the worships the worship center, um, if you just kind of head around the left side of that, there's a community room back there. Um, that South Community Room. We're there every Monday night from 7:30 to 8:30, and and it's an open forum. You can ask whatever you want. It's a kind of a blank check question. Just um, we and and we love to uh, discuss with people about those. So want to invite you to that. And then um, I'm excited to obviously um, introduce our three speakers. We've got Jeff Grandy and Lucy Chang and Dale Wallace and uh, um, three of our residents who, um, fr- as a from a staff perspective, are, are super excited to uh, with 100 percent confidence put them up here and uh, invite them to equip you today. Um, So really, without further ado, you guys take it away. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Nate. Nathan Wagnon, uh, host of Great Questions on Monday Night, which I think is uh, probably one of the least known and therefore most underrated ministries we have here. Uh, Tremendous ministry. I highly encourage it. But welcome. Welcome to Hot Topics. Like you said, my name is Jeff Grandy. Uh, I'm currently a resident here at Watermark Community Church. Uh, Grew up in California. Uh, then spent about six years in the Chicago area where I went to school and, and coached football for a couple years. Uh, moved down here when I was 25, about a little over eight years ago now. Moved down for work is the long story short. Uh, been a member of Watermark for about the same amount of time and uh, just jumped in this year as a resident. Uh, been a tremendous blessing. Uh, my teammates, like you said, Lucy Chang, Dale Wallace, uh, also residents here. Uh, very, very intelligent people up here. And... <laughs> From <laughs> uh, first thing we want to do is acknowledge a couple of things. We want to acknowledge, first of all, that um, these are historically very divisive topics. We want to acknowledge that these can be very emotionally charged uh, topics and very sensitive topics and tough topics to talk about, talk about for an awful lot of people. Uh, so thank you for coming. We want to acknowledge within that that there are probably people here who uh, identify with homosexuality or have a loved one who do. There are probably people here who have had an abortion or have supported an abortion. Um, Thank you for being here. You are welcomed here. And that leads me to the the next biggest acknowledgement that we want to make right off the bat, and that is, um, admittedly, unfortunately, the the global church as a whole, uh, a lot of Christians in the past have not always handled these topics very well. Um, they have not always handled it in a way that, that speaks truth and yet with love and compassion and gentleness and lets people know that God loves you exactly where you are. 
so we want to acknowledge those two things right off the bat. And if you have a Bible, I'd love for you to turn to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. Um, while you're turning there, I'm going to give you a little bit of context. This is right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus is, is giving a sermon to his disciples. And uh, over the first two chapters, 5 and 6, one of the, the resounding themes that Jesus is giving his disciples is the importance of humility. The importance of acting with humility within the Christian life. And within that, he rebukes the, the religious leaders at the time. He rebukes them for being arrogant. He rebukes them for looking down upon others, judging them in the sense of, of looking at them as lesser, uh, judging them in the sense to, to boost their own egos, to boost themselves up, uh, to make those other, other folks feel like lesser, like their sins are, are bigger than theirs or anything like that. So I'm going to start reading uh, verse 1, Matthew chapter 7. Jesus is talking to his disciples. He says, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. And so the first thing we want to do here is attempt to acknowledge that there's a plank in our own eye. Some of you have translations that say a log. There's a log in our eye, and we want to say first and foremost that we are sinners. Everybody up here, everybody who teaches today, myself included, we are just as much sinners. We are just as much in need of a Savior as anybody else on earth. Uh, And within that, we are not here to judge anybody. We are not here to look down on anybody. We are not here to... Uh, make ourselves feel like our sin is, is less uh, or greater than anybody else's. We're here to acknowledge that we are all sinners. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. But thanks be to God, because the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We need that gift of salvation just as much as anybody else. So we're not here uh, to judge anybody, to look down on anybody, but... Second half of uh, uh, verse 5, even within acknowledging that we are sinners and even within not having the right, we don't, we don't have any right to look down on anybody. Within that, our Lord still says in the second half of verse 5, he says, then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. We're still called to point ourselves and others towards truth. And we are still, as sinners, called to turn ourselves and to turn our brothers and sisters, sisters towards truth, towards God's truth, towards a better way that he has laid out for us, towards God's plan for us. And that's what we hope to do uh, here today. Um, we want you to know that you are welcome here wherever you are. If you're uh, not, sure, not sure where you stand on these topics or if uh, it is a very emotionally charged and a very sensitive topic for you. We are glad you're here. We hope to uh, look to Scripture uh, together because we believe it is God's Word. And while we have no right to judge or look down on anybody else, we do believe there is a God and He has spoken. And He has called us to point ourselves as well as others towards truth. I'm going to open us up in prayer real fast. Father God, thank you so much uh, for your Word. Thank you so much uh, for revealing your truth. Thank you so much for uh, giving us the opportunity 
uh, to speak with one another, to turn one another towards it. I pray, Father God, that you give us humble hearts. I pray, Father God, that you would uh, help us to speak truth and that nobody would leave here thinking they, they were unloved. I pray that nobody would leave here thinking that they were looked down upon in any way, shape, or form. We thank you so much for your goodness and your grace and your salvation. In your name, amen. Well, I'm going to hand it over to Lucy here real fast. A couple of housekeeping items real fast. Uh, please hold your questions to the end. Obviously, these are, this might provoke an awful lot of questions, an awful lot of concerns, everything. We ask that you write those down and save your questions to the end. We'll also be uh, hanging out after uh, 3.30. You're welcome to come find us. Uh, uh, break will be for about 10 minutes. Uh, right in the middle of the time, Lucy's going to go, Dale will go, and then there'll be a break, just so you know what to expect. But you're welcome to get up, uh, get something to drink, use the restroom whenever you need. That's not a problem at all. So without further ado, Lucy Chang. Hey, there we go. So, hi, good afternoon. Um, my name is Lucy Chang, and um, like I said, I see a few familiar faces here, so it's nice to see y'all. I get the privilege of being a resident this year with 21 other folks, two of which are on here. Um, just a quick background, I have been at Watermark for about four years now, um, serving here mainly at the porch and doing some other things, and um, just through my love of sharing Christ with people, um, also started developing a love for apologetics. So I also serve with the Great Questions team. So as Nathan plugged, if y'all ever want to come on Monday nights, you're welcome to. But um, yeah, as I was brainstorming with these guys before, like, hey, what's a good thing that we can discuss? And these are, um, like I said, these are those difficult emotionally charged topics, but we don't want to be afraid of them, right? We want to know like what we believe on them and then how we can engage people for them for the sake of the gospel. So what I'm actually going to do first is, and if y'all have a handout, y'all can hopefully follow along. Um, we're going to go through how we got here in the first place. Uh, so how many of y'all know what the word worldview means? Okay, cool. So probably most of y'all have heard of that. So worldview is simply how you see the world, right? Um, and I think this is important that we spend a little bit of time to get here. Um, I think so we understand that we're not living in a vacuum, you know? We didn't just suddenly show up in this place now where every truth is relative and the Bible's not taken seriously anymore. We're not in that place anymore. But I think it's helpful even for our own compassion for other people that we talk to, to see over the last few centuries how we trickled bit by bit to get here. I don't know if you love history. I don't necessarily love history, but I love that it helps me understand um, where people are coming from. Okay, so um, that was actually a guy who I think he was doing these interviews on the streets of Dallas. So you can even see, uh, especially those three, the, the first three people that he was talking to, there's definitely some postmodern thinking there. It's, it's all over their answers, and we'll go, we'll go into that as well. And then I think that the last few people, they were probably, I would say, Christians or at least something similar to that. But as you can see, even just whoever you talk to out there, it's like, well, truth is whatever you want it to be. That's your truth. It's my truth. There's nothing there. But anyway, so we're going to start here with theism. Um, theism is basically the, the worldview that you do believe in God. Um, now, just so you know, under the theism camp, there is Christianity, there is Judaism, and there's Islam. We won't go into all those right now, but just for the sake of discussion, this is basically the belief of God. And in this case, we're going to just say Christianity. Um, this is the dominant view pretty much up until the 1600s. Um, under this view, there is a God, 
God who is infinite and personal. So not just impersonal, like a pantheistic type of view, but it's a personal God. He is transcendent. And this idea of transcendence is really important because transcendence basically means that he is outside and independent of our world. So he's not involved in our, or he's involved with us, but he's not like changing with us, so to speak. He is outside of that and he is holy and he is good. Um, We can know truth which is important because, um, you know, now truth is whatever you want it to be. But we can actually know truth. We can know about uh, truth about the world. I think Romans 1 is a great place to read about that, where creation attests to uh, God. And we can actually know truth about God. Um, Bible is probably the great example of that. Humans were made in the image of God. Um, so important as we later on get into more of these topics, because if humans are not made in the image of God, or we don't know when someone, something becomes a human, then, you know, we just start going down this pathway of whatever goes, says, right? Or whatever says goes. So humans are made in the image of God. We are created good, but through Adam, sin entered the world. Um, and death is not the end of our, us. There is, there is a life after death. Um, ethics, very important. Ethics also is transcendent. Um, it is outside of us. It's not something that we morph and change and do whatever we want to. It is transcendent and is based on the character of God. You're going to realize that um, if you don't start with a starting point of God, then your ethics is going to be all weird and it's whatever goes, right? So ethics is transcendent. History is linear. Um, so it is like in order and it's meaningful versus some other worldviews now, you know, it's it doesn't really matter where we've come from. It's all just kind of this big circular thing. And this also makes a, um, in a, a difference because if you're talking to somebody and say you want to defend to them the historicity of Christ or the resurrection, but they don't really care about history, then they may not listen to you as much. So, But here we have a commitment to that history is important and makes sense. And the core commitment is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Uh, next, we start slipping into deism. This was probably late 1600s to 1700s. Uh, what happened here was that the authority of knowledge started shifting from scripture to reason. Now, it's not that reason's bad, right? I think we're all reasoning right now as we're listening to me and these folks up here. Reason is not bad. But when reason is elevated above man and divorced from scripture authority, then we start getting into wacky stuff. Um, God is still part of the system, but he's been relegated to a clockmaker. If y'all have y'all heard of the clockmaker analogy, probably some of y'all have. So basically, the idea behind the clockmaker analogy is that God sort of wound the world up as a, a clockmaker, and then he just let it go. And now the world is on its own, doing its own thing. God is over here, going, "See y'all later. Good luck. I am not involved. I don't care about your lives." Um, so as far as deism goes, there is a cold version of that, which is basically where the, we ignore God. Um, and I would say probably a lot of people, Americans might, you know, this is the person who they might say, oh yeah, I believe in God. But then you're like, what does that mean? They're like, no, there's absolutely nothing else in their lives that would speak to that. So they may not say they're like atheist or agnostic, but they don't live like that at all. Um, there is a warm version of deism and that hap- that looks today like what I would call ther- uh, moralistic therapeutic deism. Have y'all heard of that term before? Okay, a few of y'all might have. It's, it's kind of come up here and there. But basically what this means is God is a genie. 
Um, God wants us to be happy. So whatever makes you happy goes, whatever says goes. God is not involved in our lives unless we want something from him. Then we can ask him and he might give it to us, right? Uh, God doesn't make any demands on creation. So he doesn't want, he doesn't need for us to worship him. He doesn't um, convict us of our, or ask us to be convicted of our sin. Nothing like that. And then uh, good people go to heaven, except, you know, who's good? We don't really know. Okay. Moving on, uh, naturalism. So this one, I'm going to spend a little bit more time on. This one started in the 1600s to 1750s. Um, I would say it reached more of its adolescent years in the 1800s and then full maturity in the 1900s. I know we talk a lot about postmodernism, but pay attention because naturalism or modernism, whatever, this is still very much like undergirds our society. I would actually argue that all the other worldviews that we that people out there subscribe to still kind of sit on the bedrock of naturalism because you can't really get away with that. And I'll explain more of that in a bit. Okay, so real quick recap. In theism, God is infinite personal. In deism, God starts losing his personality. And then in naturalism, he kind of loses his existence. So in naturalism, the universe is matter. It's just matter. It's like this giant thing of matter. Matter, matter, matter is, is the most important thing. And then what happened was our minds sort of became a subcategory of matter. So mind is now like subservient to matter. And somewhere along the way, it split the two. So whereas like with God, you know, we are, we have our bodies, we have our minds as well. God is both together. But when you split the two, uh, you can start doing, you know, you, you run with matter and then you forget the mind. So that's what happened here is the mind and the matter split. And we really never recovered from this, from this point on. Um, the universe is a closed system, so meaning it's not open to outside influence. That is like God. Um, it, it is cause and effect. So pay attention here. If you believe purely in naturalism or materialism or whatever, and you don't believe there's a God, then what you, if you really logically think about it, you have to follow the, or you have to believe in cause and effect. So basically, at some point, there was a cause which created this effect, which created this effect, which created this effect. So, and it just goes on. And we call that determinism, which is basically, you don't really have a free will or a choice. You are just a reaction to the previous cause that was a reaction to the previous cause. And I I think most people who subscribe to naturalism, they don't realize this. They don't realize that without a God, we're all just chemicals, you know, as a previous, uh, as a result of the previous cause to that. So, um... So most people don't realize this, but it's important for you. I think it's good for us to realize that this is the assumption you're making when you subscribe to a naturalistic worldview. So, so again, no free will, because again, you're just the effect of a previous cause, right? Although I would say the feeling that you have a free will is not denied. Because I think most people, if you say, well, you don't really have a free will, you're going to get weird looks. Like, well, no, of course I have a free will. So this is where this worldview actually commits suicide, I would say. But again, nobody, most people who subscribe to this free will or this um, worldview don't realize that. Um, So yeah, human personality is basically just a conglomeration of chemical, physical reactions. You're not really, you don't really have a soul. You don't really have a, a unique personality made in the image of God. Ethics is created by humans. Um, It's relativistic. But again, I want you to pay attention. Because of determinism and the lack of free will, we we can't really make real moral choices, right? Because if you don't have free will, you can't choose, technically, to do good or bad. So again, this is where this worldview, again, commits suicide. But if you're not really thinking about it, you don't really realize this. 
Uh, history is linear, but it's closed, it's deterministic. There is absolutely no overarching purpose. Um, I know if we, yeah, I won't, this is not an evolution talk, but let's say you subscribe to macroevolution and all that, but hey, and let's say you're like, well, it's just random mutation, natural selection, there is no overarching purpose. Won't go into that, but just saying, like, it, it'd be kind of like that. The core commitment to um, this worldview is that there's no goal. So since there's no goal, then why don't you choose it yourself? Um, most people choose what is normal and acceptable within a society. So that's important. I want to camp on that because if there is no outside transcendent goal and you just choose what's normal and acceptable in a society, well, then a society is going and bending with the waves and toss, being tossed to and throw as we're going to move on to later to the topics that you came here for. You'll see that whatever is acceptable in society is whatever we're going to do. But that's really scary because what if... Well, now we're like standing at the edge of the cliff, but like, let's say, you know, in 10 years, people start jumping off the cliff and it's okay because, hey, whatever you want is fine, right? Um, I would say the naturalistic worldview is what dominates our, our, definitely our universities and our education, our think tanks out there. Um, And why do we like naturalism so much? Well, the thing is that it appears honest. Like, it, it seems like, well, I only believe in what I can see. That's the only, that's, that's, that's my truth, you know? I believe in scientific observation. That's what I believe. So it feels like it's objective and it's honest. But as we've seen before, going back to, like, free will, determinism, all that stuff, it's not a real coherent worldview. Um, and also, it doesn't answer questions of, like, where did we come from? What is our identity? What is the meaning of life? Where does morality really come from? What about even our ability to reason? We can't reason if we're just a bunch of chemicals, right? Like, we can't really reason. And again, again there's no free will. So I, I, I just think this worldview is so interesting because it's something that, like, everyone is just okay with. But when you really look deep down, probably more into these areas, you realize that it doesn't hold up. Okay. Moving on. Um, New Age spirituality. So so this probably came about in the last few decades. So for those who are not satisfied with naturalism, and um, if you, just so you know, FYI, this is for free, uh, if you follow naturalism to its logical end, you're going to end up either with nihilism or with existentialism. And I'm not going to go into those because we don't have time. Um, but most people can't, like, they cannot, like, um, survive in that way. They can't live like that, right? And so, so most people just kind of stay with naturalism. Um, so somewhere along the way, we started getting some Eastern thoughts introduced into uh, our society, right? Like Hinduism, Buddhism, all that kind of stuff. Um, but what I would say is most of us in America, Westerners, we, have, we probably are not really fully able to become fully Hindu, right, or fully Buddhist, And so a good compromise is sort of this Western new consciousness. So it kind of borrows from Eastern mysticism, but it kind of got wrapped into this like Western package is what I would say. So new age spirituality, um, probably the the main person I think of um, is Oprah. I mean, she's like the new age spirituality guru and all of the people who who are um, surrounding her. Um, this is a highly eclectic worldview. Um, it's, it borrows from a bunch of different worldviews, so it contradicts even itself. It's always changing around. Um, there is no transcendent God. It's a closed universe. Um, the idea of evolutionary change is important. And I will say this isn't necessarily like macroevolution from a science perspective, but it's like this, you can change, you know. We're evolving as humans. We're getting better as humans. Um, that, that kind of lingo and talk is very new age, I would say, spirituality. Um, 
the the individual person, the self, is the most important thing. Uh, that is its own protected universe, and so nobody can speak into it. So you yourself are the most important thing. Nobody can speak into that and tell you what to do. So essentially, everyone does whatever they want to. All right, postmodernism. Um, yeah, so... I would say a good summary of this worldview is those first three words you see up there, the incredulity towards meta-narrative, which means there is no meta-narrative. There is no overarching grand story. In fact, I am incredulous towards it. Um, essentially, there is no single story, like God who sent his son Christ down the cross for us. There is no single story. Nobody, nobody has a monopoly on that, right? How can you tell me like that your story affects me? Um, in fact, but instead, everyone creates their own narrative for their own life, and that works. Um, there has been a unique shift from being, and being is like, I would say, more theism, right? God, and everything comes from God. Um, so shift from being to knowing, which is more naturalism, r- pragmatism, reason, now to meaning. So meaning is the most important thing, but don't confuse that with truth, because it's not truth, it's just meaning. If it's meaningful, then it's important. Uh, truth is hidden. All we can do now is tell stories. Tell me your story. You tell me your story. Your story is is, is what matters. There's not you no know, nothing else really can uh, go on beyond that. Um, our language is what constructs reality. Um, the only truth is a a pragmatic truth. And so this is where I think is really interesting. Um, I always like to joke with uh, with people like, okay, nobody is a postmodernist when they're taking their medicine, right? Um, so I like that, File, put that in your back pocket for another day because someone might say, well, you know, truth is relative, whatever works for you is fine. I'm like, yeah, but I guarantee you when you're taking your medicine or pills or you're at, you're seeing the doctor, you're going to do exactly what that doctor says, what the, the truth that that doctor gave you, you're going to follow that. It's not going to be, well, that works for you, but I'm just, this doesn't work for me. Right. And so this is why I say, I still think naturalism is still the underbelly of all of our, um, worldviews here. But so I like this. It's, it's not, there's no truthfulness, only usefulness. So if it's useful, um, and this will bleed into some of what we're going to talk about later as well. Um, if it's useful, then it's true. But well, I don't know what that means. It's, I don't know. Pragmatic truth can shift around. It's, so no truthfulness, only usefulness. Um, this worldview is committed to an ending shifts, shift of whatevers. And I love that because it's like, uh, not only is it whatever it is, but it's also shifting all the time, and it's never ending. So try to, try to put your two feet on that, right? Um, last two things I'll say about this worldview is notice, um, and by the way, I really love logic, and that's something I want to study even further, so if some of this like scratches that itch, you'll know, you'll know why. But um, notice that the rejection of a narr- meta-narrative is itself a meta-narrative. If you say uh, there is no truth, that what you're just saying there is a truth statement. So pay attention to that. When people say stuff like that, like really just stop for a moment and pay attention. And then you might ask them like, is that just true for you or is that true for everybody? You know? Um, So it's, yeah. So pay attention. And also this whole idea of like that you can't access reality, um, like the, the, the judgment or the statement that you cannot truly access reality is itself a statement about reality, you know? Um, so that's what I love about this is like it doesn't it's not coherent it doesn't actually fully make sense. Um, all right, huh? Yeah. So okay, I like this quote. This is from uh, Dr. Albert Moeller, who is president of Southern Baptist uh, Theological Seminary. 
Basically, the quote says, the shift from modernity to postmodernity has not been pretty. In the end, relativism is a more deadly enemy than denial, for it rejects the very possibility of truth. Even as it, allow, it allows for infinite forms of meaning, this has become, made the apologetic task substantially more difficult. In the pre-modern age, the great issue was which supernatural claims are justified and true. In the modern age, the assumption was that no supernatural claims are justified or true. In the ethereal vapors of post-modernity, any supernatural claim is assumed to be true, whether justified or not. But no claim to truth can be absolute, universal, or exclusive. So guys, this is sort of the world we're living in right now. Some nice mixture of, uh, of naturalism, a little bit of sprinkled postmodernism, and of course there's still theists around, like probably most of us in this room. This is kind of what we're up against right now with all the different voices and things out there, and of course it naturally um, affects our views of um, the two more controversial issues that we're going to talk about today. So without further ado, I'm going to now pass it on to my friend Dale Wallace, who is going to lead us in a discussion on gay marriage and homosexuality. Thank you, Lucy. Thank you. Like Lucy said, my name is Dale Wallace. I am a resident, and I work with students. Um, And so one thing you need to know just right off the bat is my email address is dwallace at watermark.org. And I tell you that because I promise that if you listen to me for everything that I have to say today, that I will listen to you, okay? And and, uh, I promise to give you resources and the things that um, whatever whatever questions you have to ask, um, if we don't get them to get to them at the end, I want you to know you can email me, dwallace at watermark.org. Um, I might not meet with you, um, and especially if you send curse words. Somebody has tried to curse at me before via Watermark email, and just so you know, try not to curse because otherwise it won't get to me. They won't let it get to me, okay? So I'm just warning you now, if you want me to respond, if you ever want to see me again, just don't curse. You can just put some other like uh, emojis or other things. And so... Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm available, and we are available as a team, And because so, quite frankly, uh, these are t- tough subjects, and uh, it, hopefully we'll get to as many questions as we can at the end, um, and so we'll just try our best to get through. So a lot of you thought we were just going to sit here and consume the whole time. Um, that is not going to work uh, for the next five minutes. For those of you that are counting, it could be two if you answer quickly. So um, I want to I ask the question today, first things first. How do we respond to sin? Okay, I'm going to clarify with one thing. There's a difference between a non-believer and a believer and how we respond to those, ty- those kinds of things. So response to sin, be thinking of him. Response to sin. Guys, I'm so worried I'm going to misspell something. I'm going to abbreviate everything. Non-believer, believer, okay. <laughs> All right, so we need four things for each. So if you really want to get rid of this whole like... Um, this whole project that we're working on right now, like you would be smart to answer quickly. So let's start with non-believer. Let's assume they just are like, hey, I don't believe in truth. I don't believe in Jesus. I don't believe in anything. Um, how do we respond to somebody that, like just in daily life, let's say they're a family member or friend, like we all have them. What do we do? Love. Boom. That's great. What else? Grace. Yes. Sorry, I'm writing so small, y'all. Seek to understand. Wow, that's great. I'm going to put listen. Sorry, y'all. You can come take a picture of this after. Um, What else? We need one more. Y'all, chill out. I'm sorry. I'm not the best writer. What do we got? One more. 
I'm looking for one thing in particular too, I'd, I'd say. Non-believer. If it feels good, do it. Would, would that be your response to them? That's a great point. So that would be a non-believer's response to anything. As Lucy has pointed out, how do we get here? That's, probably, that's kind of where we're at. So what else will we do? Share Boom, share the gospel. I'll write a big gospel for all you haters out there. <laughs> all right. Um, and then so for a believer in sin, for, let's, let's assume this. Let's assume they're in community, they're submitted to the church, and submitted to authority. So for some of us, we're like, oh, that might be me. I'm in community. How do we handle sin within community? Like, what does it look like? Okay, any, any answers? Love. Love. That's great. It's on both sides. Admonish. Somebody read their community group book. Um, what else? Listen. Great. Oh, goodness gracious. Accountability. Okay, that's four. Y'all are good. So uh, that's a lot. Of, what's that? Repentance. All right. I won't even write that down because I'll probably misspell it. Okay, so y'all just need to know. Y'all need to know. I just reminded you how to respond. Most of you came here today because you were like, how do we respond to sin? How do we, what's our biblical view of sin? And so I'm gonna run through some of the scriptures I even gave y'all that y'all, y'all already hit. I'm gonna give you one more thing. This is a freebie too. There's some clarifying questions that will help you get to the, hey, am I talking to a non-believer or a believer? Like that, that's stuff that, that's helpful. Um, you could do the watermark one to 10, as I like to call it. Um, just like, how sure are you if you were to die today, scale of one to 10 that you'd make it to heaven? Um, what would be the account that you gave to, uh, to the father? Things of the sort. Other things that are pretty normal questions to ask, um, whether or not uh, you're a, they're a believer or non-believer. Hey, are you in a relationship? What does that look like? What does purity look like for you? Are you sexually active? That's kind of a weird question to ask. But it would be a good question to ask a believer if you were in community. Okay, so here's just some random questions you might want to like. These will help guide conversation. Okay, like you, for the most part, you need to know who you're talking to. You need to have a relationship with them, and you need to get to know them. So we're going to go through some scriptures I've just thrown together. Um, I'm going to give you summaries of every one of these scriptures because just for the sake of time, because we don't have enough of it today. And so uh, Proverbs fourteen twelve. There's a way that seems right to man, but its end is the way of death. There's people that are lost. We got to show them the way. We got to do it with love. Somebody said that. We got to deliver them. That was kind of said. Um, Isaiah five twenty. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Call it what it is, y'all. Next one. We got First John three seven through ten. Here's a summary. Walk the talk. Talk the talk and walk the walk. Um, we're keep going. Galatians six one. We've heard this one before. Um, with gentleness restore somebody. Um, and then also keep watch of yourself. Nobody kind of mentioned that, um, but it's a good thing to remember. Uh, admonish, there's the community group book, First uh, Thessalonians 5.14, for those that are in that and have read that, encouraging, help, be patient. Nobody's patient. I'm the worst at that. Um, and so, and then uh, Matthew 18, I'm surprised this wasn't said for the believer, but that's kind of accountability, engage personally with the relationship. And then some of us are always, we always kind of want to ask the question like, well, what did Jesus say? Even though like as if he wasn't the truth, as if he, the word didn't become flesh and he was the truth. Um, we, how did Jesus respond? I put this on a slide for you, John 1, 14. It says that Jesus was full of grace and truth. We also have that uh, when Jesus was, uh, excuse me, Jesus was not condemning. And when the uh, lady that was caught in adultery was thrown before him, he said, go and sin no more. So he's not condemning but he did call her to not return to her vomit. 
And so these are good things. And then Matthew 7, 3 through 5, as Jeff has, has already pointed out for us, you got to remember to log out, okay? It's like you're at the library, you're about to leave, you got to log out, okay? Otherwise, somebody's going to steal your identity. The reality is, though, the first thing you need to do when talking to anyone is to log out. Take that log out, the plank out. Hopefully that'll help you remember it. Okay, so let's stop right there. What you might have noticed is that I haven't even said the word homosexuality yet. I have not even said the word homosexuality yet. So we've already talked about how to respond to sin. Non-believer, believer. Share the gospel. You might even share the gospel here again. Both in love, both with gentleness. Hold, hold them accountable. Listen, be filled with grace and love. All these things. So can we just acknowledge that most of us in here already knew how to respond? I just needed to remind you. But the truth is, I don't, I don't think homosexuality is any different. The only way that it is different is that culture celebrates it. And that's what makes it difficult. Okay? When you're sitting there and you want to share the gospel and, and you call them to truth, it's hard when they're like, you're going to steal my dignity because these are my desires? It, it gets harder. Or maybe even worse, when they're, if they're not militant in nature and they're like, but I love him. It's hard. We know how to respond. Jesus showed us how to respond. And we haven't even touched on the scriptures that talk about marriage or homosexuality. So let's turn to those next. We got to trust truth. Write that down somewhere. Big and I would do it on the board, but I'd misspell it. I'm telling y'all. Trust truth. Matthew 19 gives us the answer for marriage a biblical view of marriage. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. You came to learn the biblical view of marriage. There it is. Pretty straightforward. And then also, for, for the question of transgender, a biblical view on, a, on transgender is, um, we see right there, for, uh, he who created them from the beginning made them male and female. It's right there. The unfortunate thing is, oh, we'll keep going. Homosexuality touched on in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Here's another slide that I would put in that I added later. I would say sexuality in general we know a response is from 1 Corinthians 6, 12 through 20, is that we must flee sexual immorality. Okay? But here's the deal. I've already shown you and told you, you already have before you, a biblical response and a biblical view. The issue is, it's not that sexy. And quite frankly, it's not that sensitive either. Am I right? Like, it's plenty, there's plenty of things that, this, that it is not. But in the end, what it is, is it's God's best. And that's what we have to be able to communicate about, okay? It is not that sexy. The biblical view and the biblical response, it's not sensitive, but it is God's best. Again, we got to trust in the truth. I threw this slide in there. I probably would have taken it out had I had more time. But there's a responsibility to respond. Uh, for all you type A people, I'm going to just quickly brush through this so that you don't, 
you aren't worried the whole time about me missing this slide. Um, there's two commands that I think are threatened. This was just off the top of my dome one day. I was like, I'm thinking, what is threatened? I don't know why I thought of the first and the last. The first, be fruitful and multiply. Okay, it's threatened because the design of homosexuality doesn't allow for multiplication. I'm not going to go into much detail there. The last one is go in there. Go therefore and make disciples. That's one of the last commands that we're given um, from Jesus. And I think when we are afraid to engage with sin, when we are afraid to engage with sin in general, then we threat, it threatens making disciples. And what you need to know specifically is if you never approach anyone because of their sin, then you will never share the gospel with anyone ever. Like what if somebody had looked at you one day What if the person that had saved you had said, oh no, that person's a little too greedy or maybe even hit home a little bit more. That person's a little too prideful. Like that's realistic for me. I'm like, if somebody had said that, they would have been right. Um, And so we can't, these things are threatened when we we fail to respond, when we fail to, to know the biblical view. So those things are threatened. Those commands are threatened. Let's move on. Here's some things I want you to be able to answer that we might not get to today. And so you might want to write these down and you you could ask them during the question and answer time. I just want you to know there's plenty that we could be talking about, but we probably won't get to all of it today. Um, What's a biblical response to the Supreme Court uh, decision on marriage now that it's changed um, in, in our nation? Or how about is homosexuality genetic? Or is... Uh, what's our response to the gay Christian movement? If you don't know what that is, great, look it up. It, it takes uh, some things that there's, it's definitely a movement that you have to be aware of. Um, and then even the question, can you struggle with homosexuality and be a Christian? Let me just stop and answer this one real quick. Can you struggle with homosexuality and be a Christian? First of all, what's your definition of struggle? Because if your definition of struggle is making war with sin, meeting it at a thought level, submitting to Christ and truth, having accountability, making no provision for sin. If that's struggling, then if, if, you, can't, if, you, if, if you can't struggle with something and not be a Christian, then I can't be a Christian. You can't be a Christian. None of us can. None of us can. Okay? So the answer, can you struggle with homosexuality and be a Christian, is yes. You've got to clarify that. Let's keep going. So first thing I want to do is, here are some things I'm going to note. These are primarily just so that you can have conversations in between or maybe during the question and answer time. I'm just going to blow by these, okay? And so I'm sorry that, but hopefully if there's questions that you have in particular, you can ask them at the end, find us after, whatever you want. Here's the first thing. You have to do your due diligence. Go to watermark.org and search homosexuality. Look up these things. Todd has something from 2004 called Homosexuality and Same-Sex Marriage, an Apology, and Answer, and Assignment. Also, there's a bunch of real truth real quicks on it. And Todd also has a, 10 resources with, to help you talk about homosexuality, okay? A lot of us know plenty about homosexuality, but a lot of us don't know how to talk about it. So it's a great resource for all of us to listen to. And then also, Rosaria Butterfield has this book, Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert. She is excellent, absolutely excellent of a resource. Go to her website, watch some videos. It will literally blow your mind. It's wonderful. Let's keep running through these. The church is for sinners. What you need to know is when people come out of the closet, so to speak, when a homosexual comes out of the closet, they are welcomed with open arms. 
They have a community that's going to show them love and acceptance. What you need to know is they think the church doors are closed and the church arms are closed. So we must be mindful of this. We have to make sure that people know that the church is for sinners. It's the number one requirement of getting in, as Todd always says. It is the number one requirement, and too often we forget that, okay? And so let's keep going. Our standard for response is always truth. You might want to process with community how to communicate with grace and truth, and even when to initiate conversations. Always know the... uh, and have an understanding of feelings are very real, but they aren't reliable. Know that God's design for sex and marriage always trumps our desires, okay? We're going to keep blowing through. Um, you, uh, another thing to write down is process with community, but don't be passive about it. Don't let that be an excuse, okay? More freebies. The greatest sin for non-believers is not name any sin, so, you know, blank. It is their rejection of Christ. And a believer must also have an understanding of Old Testimonial serum. Old Testament ceremonial laws that have been fulfilled by Christ, you must understand, especially with the gay Christian movement, especially with a lot of other things, they're always going to pull out the Leviticus uh, passage where it talks about putting homosexuals to death. And then it, uh, other things to just create conversation. It's not your job to win someone over spiritually, much less politically. Goodness gracious, not politically. Um, John 16, 8, I've given you a passage. Uh, Proverbs 18.2, we all know that Facebook fool that takes no pleasure in understanding but only in expressing his opinion. We all know that person, okay? You gotta know, you gotta know when to debate and when to make disciples, okay? And so uh, when culture, and then always know that when culture is in favor of a sin, there's always gonna be danger. That's where this emotional response comes from. And there's no perfect opportunity or conversation. You're not going to be in the coffee shop where no one else can hear you. Always, like, if you're in these conversations, you're like, I don't really want other people to hear because I don't really care what they think. And so you like, there's no just perfect conversation that's going to work out, okay? And so um, you got to know what hills you're going to die on, especially with things like uh, uh, whether or not it's genetic, things of the sort. Know what hills you're going to die on and then just be prepared. If they're not mili- like, If they're not militant, it can get really, really sensitive. And that's when it's, it's, it's just, it, it's hard, but you got to remember there's no formula. I talked about first Corinthians nine or excuse me, first Corinthians six, nine through 11. And it's, it says, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? And then lists out a bunch of sins. But what I didn't read was verse 11. And it says, such were some of you, such were some of you. What we got to do today is I'm not going to give you a formula. In fact, I'm like shooting this shotgun of just like random things that we should all be aware of. And so if if you want to critique me, I'm not giving you the answers. I'm telling you, go do some homework, process with community, and the things of the sort. But if you're on the other end of the spectrum here and you're not looking to respond, you're saying, hey, I struggle. Not only do I, I don't struggle with homosexuality, I'm just, I'm gay. I don't struggle with anything. It's great. But, but people are telling me it's wrong. I'm so glad you're here if that's where you're at. And, and here's my response is, I'm so sorry that I've made this a hot topic. I personally am sorry for allowing us to name this class Hot Topics. Because it's kept us from wanting to talk about it. It's those very things that keep us from wanting to talk about it. And we've all made excuses. How many of us have made excuses for not talking to people about any sort of sin? We've all made excuses, right? You don't even have to raise your hand. It's rhetorical. Okay, so we, we've, all, we've all made these excuses. Let me tell you, whatever your excuse has been, is it needs to be your apology. 
That's what you start with. You need to resolve to act. A stands for apologize, for making it a hot topic, for making too many excuses, for saying, hey, I'm, I'm socially awkward. Start with saying you're socially awkward. Sit him down and say, I'm so sorry. I'm going to sweat this whole time. This is weird, but I just want God's best for you. That's all I want. Will you listen to me? I'll listen to you. It'll be great. I pray that the Lord would lead. And of course, just submit it. Be full of prayer. And then, so resolve to act. A is apologize. C is communicate with compassion. I pray that I have set the example of that for you today. And then the T is teach truth in love. I pray that I've also set the example with that. You got to trust the truth in all of this. You got to resolve, resolve to act relationally because there is no formula. Really quickly, I'm going to finish with this. We, we read 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11, and I was reminding you that such were some of us. Maybe your sin wasn't listed. Guess what? Mine was. I make an idol of myself, and my thoughts are adulterous. My sins were listed. Maybe you sat there and you go, mine's not. Let me read to you the first verse before the list of sins. Verse 9, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Hey, guess what? That's every single one of us that have sinned. Yours came first. We were all first. We were all unrighteous. And that's why we turn to verse 11. And it says, such were some of us, but we have been washed. We have been sanctified. We have been justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. Hey, if you don't know how to respond, Take them this Bible and say, I'm so sorry that I saw your sin and I thought that it was in this list and I was afraid to come talk to you about it. But in the end, I realized I came before. My sin was in verse nine and I'm so sorry for all the excuses I've made. I pray that you would, you would see that I'm, I'm trying to be compassionate. I wanna, I wanna love you. I wanna be filled with grace. I wanna listen. And in the end, if they're a non-believer, share the gospel with them. Share them. Verse 11, such were some of us. Say, hey, that's me. Okay, so I'm sorry that you might have come here hoping to get some sort of formula, and I didn't give you anything. <laughs> I even, I, I can only imagine what you're thinking. You're like, this guy is the worst. He didn't tell me anything specific. I need the specifics of the, how to fix. It's like, hey, you're never going to fix anyone. No one's ever fixed you. It's only the work of the Holy Spirit and the work of the Lord. So in the end, no. We're not here to make debates. We're here to make disciples. Consider others better than yourself always. Live in the tension. Sit down and have those awkward conversations. Hey, guess what? This is me too. I'm preaching to myself. And then lastly, sinners don't need someone that works for the church. I gave you my email address. Sure, you can email me. I can help you. I can help you walk through anything, whether or not, well, I can try, of course, with the help of the Holy Spirit, excuse me. And so, but I can help you or give you resources to the best of my ability. But in the end, people don't need to hear from somebody in the church. They need to hear from from you. You're the one with the relationship with them. You have the relational capital, the relational equity. So someone doesn't need to hear from someone in the church They need to hear from you about the cross. So I pray that today we're just reminded that we knew and we've made too many excuses and now we need to resolve to act relationally. 
So um, I'm going to pray, and then you're going to be free for five minutes because I've gone way over. And really, that'll be about seven minutes, so don't take too much advantage of that. And then we're going to come back, and we're going to finish out, okay? Lord, we just thank you for the reminder that your truth gives us. Thank you for being. Father, thank you for sending your son to wash us clean. We do thank you for the grace that you've given us. Lord, we love you and we praise you. And we know this is, a, is just a difficult thing to talk about. But in the end, I pray that you would help us to live by grace, filled with truth, and that we would just love people well, and that we would just engage in situations, even if we think they're awkward. Lord, we love you and praise you and pray all this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Am I on? All right. Very good. So... I told you guys that they're two pretty intelligent people, right? I think that's pretty evident in the way that they, uh, they speak and the way they conduct themselves. We're going to move on to uh, another heavy topic. We're going to talk about abortion for the next few minutes. And for starters, why is this important? Uh, since the Roe versus Wade decision in 1973, there have been over 58 million legally performed abortions in the United States of America. And to put that into a little bit, little bit of perspective for you, there were five to six million Jews killed in the Holocaust. Fifty-eight million legally performed abortions just in the United States, just since 1973, since the Roe versus Wade decision. Um, that is well over a million abortions every year since then. So if this is, is in fact, uh, uh, taking a human life, like, like so many people claim, if this uh, is in fact uh, uh, not in accordance with God's plan, then we're experiencing one of the, the biggest, one of the greatest, uh, most tragic epidemics that the world has ever seen. 58 million just since 1973, and that's the legally performed abortions in the United States of America. Uh, if abortion is in fact taking a human life, then don't Christians have a responsibility to say something about it? Psalm 82.3 says, Defend the weak and the fatherless. Uphold the cause of the poor. And I would ask you, who is weaker than the unborn? If we are to defend the weak, who is weaker than the unborn? Proverbs 31, 8 and 9, Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and needy. If we are to open our mouths for the mute, who has less of a voice than the unborn? That's why it's important. So there's a couple of uh, objectives that I'd like to cover over the next few minutes together. Number one, uh, interpret a biblical stance on abortion. What does the Bible have to say about it? What does God have to say about it? And secondly, to equip Christians with knowledge and tools to stand for life. So let's dive in. First of all, what does the Bible say about abortion? Well, clearly the, the word abortion is not in the Bible. So we have to deduct a few things. However, I do think God is quite clear on, his, uh, on the topic. Jeremiah 1.5 says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. Before you were born, before you and I were ever born, before those, those unborn babies in the womb actually come to term, God has appointed a purpose for your life, for each one of us. God has made a plan for your life. God has put a service for you to fulfill in this life. He has a plan for you before you were ever born. 
Psalm 139, uh, verses 13 through 16. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. Before you were ever born, God intricately knew you and was intimately involved in your formation, in your creation. Before you were ever born, God counted out your days. Again, he had a plan for you. Exodus 21 through 22. Real fast, I, I reference this passage. Um, Dale touched on it as well. There's, there's the old Mosaic law in the Old Testament. And there's a, a big lesson we could teach an entire class on how we apply the Mosaic law today. What, how do we apply it? What don't we apply? How, what's the, the correlation? Suffice to say, the reason I bring this, this passage up within the Mosaic law was a law God gave that says if, if people are striving and in the midst of that hit a pregnant woman and there's damage to that unborn child, the penalty is life for a life. The penalty is eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Uh, I'll let you go ahead and read on. Simply stated, this illustrates the value that God puts on an unborn baby. Simply put, I think this illustrates that God clearly considers an unborn child in the womb to be alive and to have just as much worth and to have just as much value as, as a grown-up, as anybody else on earth. And finally, this, and this is the apex of it. This is why it really matters. Genesis 1.27, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. We are, as humans, we are the apex of, of God's creation. We are the only ones that God looked at it, said it is very good, and created in his own image. And as you look at the other scriptures uh, that talk about this, and there, there are more that we didn't cover, but as you, as you look at, at God's stance on this, you see that, that that unborn baby, that child in the womb, has just as much value, again, is also made in the image of God, is also intimately known in being formed by God himself. He has just as much value as any of us. Uh, ultimately, God clearly considers the unborn in the womb to be human beings that he has made and places as much value on them as anyone else. So what does the science say? Uh, I think this is important. I've heard a quote one time that science has finally caught up with the Bible, uh, especially on this topic. Uh, but you're also going to be talking to people who don't consider Scripture uh, as their authority in life. So it's important to consider, well, what does science say? Which, by the way, God created science as well. Dr. Diane Irving, Ph.D. from Princeton University, was uh, published in the International Journal of uh, Sociology and Social Policy. There it goes. She says, The fusion of the sperm with 23 chromosomes and the oocyte with 23 chromosomes at fertilization results in a live human being. A single-cell human zygote with 46 chromosomes, the number of chromosomes characteristic of an individual member of the human species. So in... in Science terms, she's saying that 46 chromosome being is a live human being. That's exactly what it takes. So at fertilization, when the sperm meets the, meets the oocyte, at, at the moment of fertilization, that is now a live human being. 
Embryologists, Moore and, and Prasad, they say a zygote is the beginning of a human being. Human development begins at fertilization and marks the beginning of each of us as a unique individual. Once again, it's, it's clear to scientists that human life begins at fertilization. Dr. Maureen Condit, hang with me here. This is a longer one. She's a professor of neurobiology and anatomy at the University of Utah. She says the critical difference between a collection of cells and a living organism, so the difference between just a, just a lump of cells that some people want, want to claim this to be, the difference between just a lump of cells and a human being is a living organism has the ability, there's the ability of an organism to act in a coordinated manner for the continued health and maintenance of the body as a whole. It is precisely this ability that breaks down at the moment of death, however death might occur. Dead bodies may have plenty of live cells, but their cells no longer function together in a coordinated manner. She goes on. From conception forward, human embryos clearly function as organisms. Embryos are not merely merely collections of human cells, but living creatures with all the properties that define any organism as distinct from uh, from a group of cells. Embryos are capable of growing and maturing, maintaining a physiologic balance between various organ systems, adapting to changing circumstances and repairing injury. Mere groups of human cells do nothing like this under uh, any circumstances. What separates that that fertilized egg from a lump of cells is that it has the, the potential to maintain life, to mature into greater life. Does that make sense? There's, a, there's a, a difference between that fertilized egg at fertilization. There's a scientific difference that they have observed between that and just a lump of cells. And that is, it has the potential. And in the right environment, it grows and it matures uh, into a fetus, eventually into an infant, and so on and so forth. So, so what? So what does this all mean? What? Why do we even care what the Bible says about it? Why do we care what science says about it? I think most of us can probably agree that taking a human life uh, is not right. I think most of us can probably agree that there's something wrong with taking an innocent human life. Uh, And as we just saw, the Bible and science are in agreement that human life begins at conception. Uh, It's not a matter of at the end of the first trimester Right? It's not a matter of uh, this, this way along the line of pregnancy. It becomes a human being. Science and the Bible agree that at fertilization, this is a human being. Abortion, then, is taking the life of an innocent human being. And that's why it matters. That's the main issue. That is the bottom line at the end of the day. We are here. It matters because abortion is taking the life of a human being. So how can you stand for life? We're going to break this up into a few different sections. And the first thing I'm going to talk about uh, is how can you have a discussion? How can you stand for life with, with folks who just simply disagree with you? Folks that just simply are, are pro-abortion because they think it's the right thing, uh, so on and so forth. Well, number one, like I said before, keep the main issue the main issue. Uh, is the unborn a human being? That's the main issue. Common rebuttals, common tangents, and, and different arguments that, that kind of come off of this a lot of times. Uh, people like to argue it's about trusting a woman to make their own personal decisions. Uh, it's a woman's choice to decide what to do with her body. It's a right to privacy. Uh, they also like to argue that we shouldn't force our morality on other people. But if we keep the main issue the main issue, 
Is that unborn in the womb, in fact, a human being? Well, now, all of a sudden, these become non-issues. All of a sudden, these break down. For example, number one, it's about trusting a woman to make her own personal decision. The problem with that is, if that is, in fact, a human being in the womb, then she's not just making a personal decision. She's making a decision that affects the entire life and death of another human being. Um, If that is, in fact, another human being in the womb, then it's not just a woman's choice to decide what to do with her own body. She's also making a choice as to the life and death of another human being. Uh, So that that argument breaks down. Uh, It's a woman's, excuse me, it's a right to privacy. Again, it's, it's not... It doesn't have to do with privacy. It has to do with what, what kind of decision are you making with the life of another human being. And, and you can see how um, all of these other arguments start to break down. Uh, I want to address real quickly uh, the argument we shouldn't force our morality on others. And, and to that, I would simply say, hey, would anybody argue that somebody robbing a 7-Eleven shouldn't be uh, punished through our judicial system? Would anybody argue that that's wrong? And in no way am I, am I comparing robbing a 7-Eleven to abortion. Uh, don't, don't get sidetracked here. My point is, if, we can't, if you want to use the argument, don't force your morality on other people by telling them they shouldn't have an abortion, well, then what do we have any laws for at all? Well, then what do we have any criminal justice system for at all? Any criminal laws, any civil laws, any rules and regulations, anything at all? Um, you could you could make that same argument about anything, and yet we understand that we have laws, we have regulations, we have uh, civil order because we need just that. We need order. Um, so this isn't a matter of of pushing your morality on on somebody else. This is a matter again of defending the weak. This is a matter of speaking up for those who don't have a voice. Uh, these unborn children. Uh, secondly. How can you stand for life? Use science. Having a conversation with somebody who's simply pro-abortion, again, if they are a Christian, by all means, point them to, to Scripture in the Bible. If they are just simply pro-abortion and they don't consider Scripture as their authority in life, use science. I've got a list of uh, resources here for you. I've already used a couple of them. Um, that top one, the Princeton article, excellent article. Uh, she goes down the line of myth after myth after myth. Uh, and addresses them with truth after truth after truth. Uh, very deep stuff. Uh, I recommend you find a comfortable chair, but not too comfortable of a chair when you read this. Um, heady stuff, but very, very informative. The Colson Center has some great resources, and I would point you to the Colson Center on just about any social topic whatsoever. This one in particular, uh, 21 Days of, uh, of Prayer for Life. Uh, highly encourage you to download it, print it off if that was what's... Uh, works best for you, you'll be praying alongside a lot of other people uh, over this issue, over this topic. And along the way, it's incredibly informative. Uh, It's an educational thing as well. I'm going to skip real fast. Do you guys all know what TED Talks are? Little short, informative talks? That last one is a TED Talk. This this scientist gives a visualization of uh, conception to birth. It's It's a computerized visualization of everything that happens from conception all the way to birth. Really fascinating stuff. Very fascinating stuff. Um, if you're a parent in the room, especially if you have uh, young kids at home, it's not too explicit, but I will tell you, you might want to watch it first before you let your kids see it. I'll let you make that 
that judgment call lets you make a parenting decision if it's, if it's what's best for your kids to watch. But it's, it's pretty awesome. I do recommend it. Third, use philosophy. Use the power of reason. Uh, use your mind. Stephen Schwartz has an acronym. SLED, S-L-E-D. We're going to walk through this real fast. The S stands for size. You are smaller as an embryo, but does size determine value? Of course not. L, level of development. You are less developed as an embryo, but infants are less developed than teenagers physically and mentally. Do we think they have less value? Of course not. E stands for environment. Where you are has no bearing on what you are. Does an 8-inch journey through the birth canal change the essential value of the unborn? Of course not. And finally, D is degree of dependency. You depended on your mother for survival, but does dependence on another human determine value? Of course not. Consider folks with disabilities, uh, with diseases who, who depend on others. Uh, that function does not determine your value. Humans are equal by nature because God said so. Because God placed an inherent value, an inherent level of worth on everybody's head, on you and I, on the unborn, no matter what your function is, no matter what your abilities or disabilities are, there's inherent amount of value on everybody's head, regardless of function. So I had to throw this in here. Making a pro-life case in 60 seconds. Here we go. I am pro-life because the science of embryology establishes that the, from the earliest stages of development, you are a distinct, living, and whole human being. And there is no essential difference between the embryo you once were and the adult you are today that justifies killing you at the earlier stage of development. Differences of size, level of development, environment, and degree of dependency are not good reasons for saying you could be killed then, but not now. And if you notice, he keeps the main issue the main issue, right? He goes right to the heart of the, uh, of the uh, debate. Is that an unborn baby? He uses science to support that, and he uses philosophy, or he uses the power of reason uh, to help us understand that. And finally, vote for life. How can you stand for life? Vote for life. It'd be a shame if I didn't at least hit on this topic, and this is where I'm going to make a a bit of a statement. I don't don't know if Watermark completely um, has made this statement before or not, but I'm going to make it. By all means, come and find me. Don't email Todd. Uh, This is... um, (laughs) Yes, right. Um, jgrandy at watermark.org. If you are a Christian, in my opinion, you've got no business voting for a candidate who's pro-abortion. In my opinion, nobody should be a one-issue voter. That's not what I'm telling you to be. I don't think you should be a a one-issue voter. However, I will say this. If a candidate is pro-abortion, that's a deal-breaker. If you're a Christian, that's a deal-breaker. Um, this is an important enough topic. This, is, uh, this violates what God has asked us to do by defending the weak clearly enough that I believe that as Christians we have, we have no business voting for a pro-abortion candidate. So moving on. Finally, how, how can I help someone considering an abortion? This is, a, uh, this is a different topic now. We're moving from how can I just have this conversation with somebody who's adamantly pro-abortion, right, to somebody who's actually sitting in that seat, Uh, somebody who's saying, hey, I am considering abortion, or I'm pushing my girlfriend to have an abortion, or or something along those lines. This is where it it gets sticky. This is where it gets sensitive. And number one thing I'm going to tell you, love the woman first. 
Do everything you can to help her feel loved. Do everything you can to help her feel cared for, to help her feel heard and understood. Um, Ask them how they came to the decision. That's okay. If they're sharing with you uh, that they're considering an abortion, by all means, ask them, how'd you, how'd you come to this decision or how did you come to this consideration? Ask them if they actually have something planned on the, on the calendar yet. And, and I think it'd be beneficial for you to know that a lot of times this is truly a crisis in their life. This is truly like this is, this is unplanned and they have no means in their minds to support and to raise this baby. Uh, a lot of times this is a financial crisis. They say, I, I can't do it. I cannot raise this child. Uh, a lot of times it's a relational crisis. A lot of times they're thinking, I don't want anything to do with the father anymore, and if I have this baby, he's still going to be a part of my life. Or just the opposite. Uh, their, their boyfriend, their husband, significant other, whatever it is, um, he's pressuring them. He's pressuring that woman to get, a, to get an abortion. And this is a relational crisis for them. Whatever it is, Please understand that this is a crisis in their life. This is, this is a tough issue that they are uh, dealing with. And within that, just like everybody else, just like I would, uh, would do in a crisis, just like so many people do, you, we tend to get, because we're human beings, we get a bit of tunnel vision. And we don't always want to consider anything else, right? This is, this is the biggest thing. This is the only thing in life. And... Frankly, in, in their life, it is definitely the biggest thing going on right now. And it's tough for them to just hear, hey, that's a human life. Um, address them, address that woman where she is. Let her know that she is loved, she is heard, she is cared for right where she is. And then go forward from there. If she is a Christian, uh, man, encourage her in the faith. Ask her if she has a faith. If not, this is your opportunity to share the gospel with her. This is your opportunity to say, hey, Christ loves you so much that he died for you. And Christ loves that unborn child in your womb so much that he died for him or her as well. This is your opportunity to share the gospel. Uh, secondly, you are more than welcome to direct them right here to Watermark. There's actually a pastor on call 24-7 uh, for this issue. Uh, p- the pastor on call won't get out of bed at 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning for every issue, but they get out of bed for this issue. Uh, by all means, direct them to Watermark. Uh, if they need somebody to pray with or more people to pray with, you are the front line, by the way. You are the first person to pray with them. You are the first person to inform them and love them. Um, but by all means, welcome them to Watermark. However, uh, I certainly understand that there are some people who aren't going to want to hear it from the church. Um, they, they affiliate church with this negative connotation that they're going to be judged uh, I would highly encourage you to direct them towards the Women's Clinic. They're at thewomensclinic.com. Uh, this is actually, uh, Watermark uh, helps direct women uh, this way. This is a, a Christian nonprofit organization who ministers to women um, in this uh, particular position. They are not a church, and that's why uh, I also put them up there. But they're a trusted uh, resource here at Watermark. Um, so if you are here, uh, if you have, in fact, had an abortion, um, if you have, in fact, supported abortion, number one, I want you to know that you are loved. I want you to know that you are welcome here. Uh, I want you to know that this is not, you know, we, we speak of these, as we, as we teach a class, we speak of it as 
taking a human life and we speak of it as a sin and we talk talk about this and that, number one, this is not an unforgivable issue. Um, Like I said before, we are all sinners and my sin is not less than anybody else's. But thanks be to God that the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You are loved by us. You are welcome here. But more so, more than we could ever understand, you are loved by God himself, the maker and creator of the universe. So thank you for coming. Uh, Ladies, if you are here, uh, if you are wrestling with the uh, uh, kind of the aftermath of having an abortion, uh, or you just don't know what to think about it, we have a ministry here called Someone Cares. Uh, I have handouts in the back. For Someone Cares, you can also email them at someonecares at watermark.org. Gentlemen, uh, unfortunately, men a lot of times are forgotten in all this, uh, kind of uh, ignored. But if you have supported an abortion in the past, whether it be financially or just pressured someone into an abortion and now you don't know what to think or you, you're feeling a, a sense of regret, uh, a sense of shame, by all means, Uh, We've got a ministry here. It actually goes through Regen. Our ministry on Monday nights meets at 7 o'clock, but it's called Forgotten Fathers. Um, If you don't want to navigate your way through Regen, you can uh, email ForgottenFathers at watermark.org. There is a place to minister uh, to that situation as well. I I do want to talk quickly on the issue of what about rape? Uh, What about the situation of uh, a baby's going to be born with a disability or a disease something along those lines. And I know this is uh, just when you thought it couldn't get any more politically charged. Um, first, I'm going to talk about the issue of rape. And, and in no way do we ever want to expel the woman's feelings in all this, or do we want to dismiss that whatsoever. In no way do we ever want to expel or dismiss the fact that this is a heinous crime and that that person who committed that crime needs to be brought to justice. No way do we, do we dismiss that whatsoever. I will say, however, that is, as heinous and as disgusting of a crime that sexual assault is, taking another human life is never the answer. Um, I hate to put it this way, but you've all heard uh, the expression, two wrongs don't make a right. I hate to put it that way because it makes it sound a little dismissive uh, or a little flippant, and I don't mean it that way whatsoever. But consider this, as bad, as heinous, as disgusting as as rape is, taking a human life, taking an innocent human life, is not the answer. That baby is not at fault for everything that happened. Um, What about disease or disability? I would remind you of, of Psalm 139, verses 13 through 16. That baby, even though diagnosed with disease or disability, is fearfully and wonderfully made. And God has consecrated him, has got a plan for his life, has numbered his days already. He is fearfully and wonderfully made. I want to talk to you about Noah Smith. Noah Smith is a a son of a a guy here on staff. His name is Rick Smith, who was born with Down syndrome. And uh, I would encourage you to go to their blog. It's called noahsdad.com. They actually have blogs on uh, the abortion epidemic and how uh, people seem to be more susceptible uh, to have an abortion when they learn that their baby's going to be born with a disability. And again, that baby with Down syndrome in the womb, diagnosed with a disability, is fearfully and wonderfully made. And God has a plan for that baby as well. And we don't pretend uh, that we're God. 
We don't pretend like we, it's our choice to decide uh, if that baby deserves to live or not. I want to tell you about Abel Paul Crawford. He is also the son of someone on staff here. Abel Paul Crawford was born at the end of January, and uh, Abel Paul Crawford died about two weeks later, at the beginning of February. Uh, Abel Paul was diagnosed. I'm not going to get too much into it. But Abel Paul was diagnosed with a terminal disease about five or six months before he was due to be born. And his parents, living incredibly faithfully, still just, just pictures of faith in my mind, uh, they decided that's not our choice to abort that baby. They were told that that kid has a, a terminal disease. They were told there's a good chance that your son is not going to make it to term. He probably won't be born alive. And even if he is born alive, he's, he's going to be sick, and he's not going to make it very long at all. Well, like I said, he, he, he was born by the grace of God, and he lived about two weeks and then passed of his disease. But ultimately, Abel Paul was fearfully and wonderfully made, just like you and me. And God had a plan for that kid's life. Um, and a lot of people around here at Watermark, myself included, would say, because of that, that boy, our prayer lives were greatly increased. Um, God can use anything, anything and anybody for his glory and to bring us closer to him. We don't pretend to play God. Um, ultimately, um, once again, the main issue is that that is a human being in the womb. The unborn at the moment of fertilization is a human being. And, uh, and that is why so much is at stake. And that is why, even though it's a, it's a tough topic, even though it's, it's difficult for a lot of people, it must be taught. So thanks for your attention. Lucy's going to finish up here. Um, thanks again, y'all, for giving up your Saturday to come hang out with us. Um, you could probably be doing something else right now, like sleeping or drinking coffee or whatever it is. Hey, you changed locations where you're sitting, Abby. Hey. Um, but we're so glad that you're here. Um, so yeah, what did we do today so far? Uh, we sort of went on a journey of how we got here in the first place. Hopefully that was helpful. And then we spent some time talking about the issue of gay marriage and homosexuality and all that. And then um, then we visited the topic of abortion. And so, you know, light, easy topics, right? Um, okay, so what I want to do during the like last bit, and then we'll go into some Q&A after this, but I wanna, what I want to do during like the last bit of our time together is kind of taking it all back to the gospel. Um, if we, I think if we only, I don't know, if y'all been on Facebook lately, it's like a minefield, right? I mean, I cannot go one day on Facebook without somebody getting mad or pissed off about something with the Supreme Court or the president or the upcoming election or abortion or all kinds of things. It is difficult out there, and I don't think it's going to get any easier anytime soon, but that's kind of the reality that we live in now, right? And so, like, what are we going to do? Um, I think one thing we shouldn't do is have all have these debates like, like uh, what Dale was saying um, not don't debate, but make disciples. I think it would be a miss if we got on Facebook or whatever else it is, and we just got into like all these arguments with people about abortion, um, about homosexuality, all that. Th- now, it doesn't mean we don't engage in those topics, but I think if we were just debating about them in a mean-spirited kind of way, and then we like left, well, that's sort of kind of I think what non-believers expect us to do, and what we've already been doing, and it doesn't help. 
Um, we already have that uphill battle that we're facing. And so we need to kind of figure out a way to talk about these issues in a sensitive, loving, gracious way, but then always bring it back to the gospel because that's still the most important, the most essential, central thing. Um, I have a one-minute clip I'm going to play, and it's just a quick interview of various people who are asked about like their perception of Christians, and I think there's a couple of Christians in there as well at the end, so we're going to watch that. Yeah, so, I mean, I show this to you not to discourage y'all, but I think that's kind of what we're up against, right? Um, you may not get those comments to your face per se, but uh, I, I have I have multiple non-believer friends, um, which I think is a blessing in my life. And I there's a few of them that I openly dialogue like they're ath- we, I, I know they're an atheist. They know I'm a believer, and we talk about these things. And um, I think that's the perception out there is like, hey, we are judgmental, we're hypocritical, we're mean, we think we're better than people. Um, now, again, doesn't mean we compromise on truth. Absolutely not. But we just already need to know that we're already working from the negative. We've got to get and we got to like overcome so much more, that much more to kind of get to the place where we can um, share Christ or make better decisions or whatever it is. So. Um, all right. These are verses I'm sure most of y'all know or are somewhat familiar with the gospel. Why the gospel? Well, hey. Uh, I'm at a church, we're in Watermark right now, I'm pretty sure we all know that the gospel, or most of us know the gospel is the most important thing, but the gospel is important because it's the only way. Um, John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Acts 4, 12, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. First Timothy 2, 5, for there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, and that's the man, Jesus Christ. So that's why this is important. Because if Christ is the only way, then, yeah, abortion, homosexuality, pick your other topic that we didn't even talk about today. Um, those are those are potential barriers to hearing the gospel. And so this is why we're here, right, at the end of the day. Um, but this is the way, but we need to remember that the way, there's a way that we share the way. Um, so 1 Peter 3.15 is probably kind of the go-to verse of apologetics and evangelism and all of that. Um, it says, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. So I would always just say, hey, the words gentleness and respect, just before you open your mouth, just think to, my, to think to yourself, am I going to be gentle and respectful? Because if you're not, then just don't talk. Because <laughs> um, I would rather you not talk about these issues, um, like just don't even do it until you can like find yourself, find yourself in this place of gentleness and respect, and then you can open your mouth. I think that would actually be do us better service. Um, Colossians 4, 5, and 6 is uh, kind of a newer verse that I've camped on recently, and I really love it. And it says, um, be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Um, And I love this because it's not even just talking about like how you say things, even though it does say, hey, you want to be full of grace and have your speech to be seasoned with salt. But it says, be wise in the way you act also. So, um, like, before you even open your mouth, are you acting in a way that's wise towards outsiders? So, yeah, so just some good self-reflecting. I think probably, um, I mean, maybe it depends on you. I don't know, like, who your friends are or what Christians you're around or if you have non-Christian friends or whatever. Um, 
I think I tend to err on the side of like not saying enough because I'm a people, I struggle with people pleasing and I like, I want everyone to like me and I'm generally a nice guy, girl, whatever, you know. Um, and so I probably need to challenge myself more to say things, but if you swing on the other side where you tend to just like, hey, you know what? I don't like what you said. I'm going to start pulling out my guns. Then you probably need to err on this side where you like shut your mouth first and ask yourself, hey, how are you doing as far as like your posture and your attitude towards this person? Um, so as Dale so like lovely t- touched upon here, um, I would say for me, my general rule of thumb is to just start with a gospel. Like, I'm not going to go to someone on the street and say, hey, do you want to talk about abortion? That sounds awesome to talk about right now. I probably wouldn't open with that, generally speaking. Um, if I don't know you, I'm going to maybe ask, like, hey, do you have a faith? Or do you go to church around here? Oh, hey, have you heard of the porch? I go there. Have you heard of that before? Or, hey, you see that really big building down there? That's Watermark. Have you ever been there before? Like, just ask those questions. Ask them if they have a faith. Um, get your way to the gospel, maybe, like, at some point, if you can. However, I will say... Um, you know, if it's helpful to bring up this topic first, like if it's something you're already talking about or maybe it's a point of interest, then yeah, go for it. Go for it and start there because sometimes it takes talking about something that's more substantive than like what's the weather like, right? Sometimes it does take talking about something more substantive before you can actually like talk about things like the gospel, right? I'm just, I'm just saying as a rule of thumb, um, probably start with the gospel first and with these issues, just be careful with that. Um, Okay, so three things I want to leave with you. Um, it's going to be listen, ask questions, and then bridge the gospel. Now, I hate formulas, to be honest. Like, how many of y'all are like, oh my God, I have to memorize another formula. I have to know the bridge illustration. This is so hard. You know, I mean, I get it. So don't feel like, okay, I have to like go away memorizing like a 10 step way of sharing the gospel with somebody. But I will say I'm a little bit more structured for some of y'all who know me here. I'm a little bit more structured and I find that it's helpful to have some structure or framework in my head to work off of. And then I can always deviate from it. So if it helps, um, the next few things I'm going to share with you, if it helps you to kind of like catalog these things and great, if not, then, you know, take what you need from it. Um, so I would say listening is very, very important. Um, Back then, this is actually from a book, and I'll just show it to you real quick. Um, this is actually one of my favorite books on how to uh, share, share your faith. It's called Conversational Evangelism. Evangelism is written by Norm and David Geisler. Um, there's a newer version of this book, so if you ever look it up, it's not going to have this cover. But basically, it talks about how all the things, the questions, the topics, the things you can do to talk to someone about the gospel before you get to the gospel. So this is not a book about like the actual gospel, but it's like all the stuff that comes before. But he basically talks about, hey, back then our uh, gospel presentation techniques might be confrontational, um, rational arguments, monologue, salesman, tactics, etc. Now, I'm not saying these things don't still work anymore, right? Like if any of you ever sat in on a JP sermon, that's, that's pretty confrontational, I would say. Or if you've ever talked to somebody in a way that JP might talk Again, on stage is still different in person. Um, I'm just saying, hey, sometimes people just need to be confronted with the gospel. And if you feel the spirit leading you to do that, then just do it, you know? But I'm just saying, just have that not be your only way of doing things. Um, Rational arguments. I love rational arguments. I can build a, you know, here's a 12 step of how can we even know truth to begin with and build that all the way up to like, hey, now that you know there's truth and you you can prove that God exists, let's prove that Jesus walked the earth. What he says is true. Therefore, the Bible is true. Therefore, what you say, what the Bible says is true. Therefore, what does the Bible say? Okay, here you go. So you can build that kind of argument for people. Um, What I would say is that's helpful. If you are interested in doing that, then go for it. Get equipped in those areas. Um, 
but a lot of people may not necessarily be ready for that, so just keep that in mind. Um, monologue. Nobody wants to hear a monologue, generally speaking, unless you have like a good relationship with them, right? And nobody wants to feel like they're on the other end of um, a salesman tactic, generally speaking. So nowadays, I would say instead of confrontation, we are um, having more conversations, right? We're having relational bridges. Instead of monologues, we have dialogues. Um, and I love this. I love the co-traveler perspective. Um, and the reason why I say that is, uh, I forget who said this, and y'all can help me, or one of y'all can help me, but um, really, we're not better than other people, you know? We're not better than other people. We're just like a bunch of beggars who are just showing each other where the food is. Who said that? Anybody remember that? I don't know who said that first. Anyway, but that's, that's how we need to think of ourselves, is we're just a bunch of beggars who are just showing, I'm a beggar showing someone else where the food is, you know? And so we are co-travelers, and I think even if you think of, yourself as that, it might feel a little less intimidating, right? When you're talking to that barista at Starbucks or that person at Studio Movie Grill who's selling you a movie ticket or the person you ran into at the gym that you work out at. Um, If you think of yourself as, hey, I'm just coming alongside you so we can travel and journey together. Tell me about your life. I think that helps us become a little bit less scared of the whole aspect of like evangelism or talking about hot topics, whatever it is. Okay, so reflective listening and mirroring. Now, I actually took a counseling class, uh, like randomly, I don't know, weird. But uh, these are actually counseling techniques you can learn. Um, Reflection is a great thing to use in general, whether in counseling or um, just like communication in general with your spouse or friend or whatever. So basically what you're doing is whenever someone's saying to you, you are reflecting it back to them. So if they're saying something, then you say, hey, so what, what you're saying is this, this, this. Did I understand you correctly? I think that's really helpful so you don't have miscommunication or misunderstanding so you know you're talking about the same thing. Reflection. Uh, second, mirroring. Mirroring is awesome, Um, and I think this is a great de-escalating tool. I use this myself. So when I'm talking to someone, I feel like they're getting really mad (laughs) about something, or they're really sad. Like in Great Questions, we have people who ask about like the problem of evil or pain and suffering, and you don't want to just like jump right into the intellectual answer, right? Um, Because that may not be the first thing they need. The first thing they need is to know that you understand them, and you're hearing their anger, and you're hearing their pain. So I often, like, a great thing is say, hey, you know, it sounds like this is something you feel really strongly about. Is that, is that true? I find that um, helps them feel safe. It's a great de-escalator if it's already getting, like, you know, you're all getting, you're about to pull out your guns and stuff like that. So mirroring. Um, find common ground. I see how that's hard, or this bothered me too. Uh, I think on the Great Questions team, there's a couple guys on the team who are really good at this, like, you know, I think every once a month we'll get someone to ask about what about unborn babies or fetuses or children who die? Like, do they go to heaven? Like, that's a really hard topic. And if you just say like, hey, or hey, um, yeah, are you saying you shouldn't let a woman choose seriously? What if she was raped or what if her there was incest involved? Like, seriously, you're going to be that judgmental about it. Probably the first thing you should say is, you know what? That's hard. I get it. This bothered me, too. That's probably the first thing you should say. And if you can't find anything profound after that to say, then just shut up, you know, and just listen to them. Um, So I would say that's a good thing to do. Um, Okay, so who here is familiar with the Colombo tactic? Awesome. Thank you, Dale. Okay. All right, cool. So the Colombo tactic um, basically was it's, 
probably made, at least recently, made more famous by this guy named Greg Kolkel, and he wrote this book called Tactics. How many of y'all have, are familiar with this book? Some of y'all, probably a little more. Okay. Um, all right, so also, second plug for book books. I think books are great. They equip you uh, more than you know, even a 30-minute talk. This is a great book about just how to ask good questions and about um, even like logic statements. I said earlier how some, so, some worldviews are self-defeating. It goes into that. Lots of things that people say, and you're like, that doesn't even make sense. So this is a great book to kind of pick up um, and equip yourself in that area. But basically, the Colombo tactic, three questions. It's a great thing. I would memorize this. Uh, use it in your evangelism. Use it for everyday conversations. One, what do you mean by that? How did you come to that conclusion? And have you ever considered? I use this all the time. Like if I'm out somewhere and I'm asking some, someone about like their faith or whatever, and then they might say, oh, I'm a Christian. I'm like, okay. So tell me what, a, what, a, what, is, what do you mean by Christian? Because just because someone says they're a Christian does not mean they're a Christian. Maybe they grew up, you know, in a Christian household or their, their dad was a Lutheran or something. I, I've, had that, I've had that response. I've asked people, oh, okay, you're a Christian. What do you mean by that? And they'll say, oh, well, um, my, my parents are Methodist or something. And I'm like, that doesn't mean you're a Christian, you know. Of course, I don't respond like that. But I'm just like, oh, okay, tell me more about your family or how, how their faith has influence yours and all that stuff. I think that's just such a great question. What do you mean by that? Um, if you say, I think God is a meanie. Okay, what do you mean by meanie? Like, or the God of the Old Testament is not the same as the God of the New Testament. Okay, tell me a little bit more what you mean by that. I, I think instead of just like jumping to conclusions about what people are even saying, you need to define the terms of what you're even talking about. Because if you're not talking about the same thing, then you've already missed what's going on. Um, so what do you mean by that? Now, notice you're not even making any judgment statements. You're just asking questions. Secondly, how did you come to that conclusion? Um, I love this question because it still leaves the burden on them, right? So if you're like, well, God is, God is mean. Okay, what do you mean by that? Well, he's, uh, you know, he, he kills people in the Old Testament for no reason. Okay, well, how did you come to that conclusion? Well, I guess in that case, like, read scripture, whatever. But just the, the point there is um, you want to know how they came to that conclusion, right? So, okay, different example. Um, Christians are judgmental. Okay. Well, what do you mean by judgmental? Well, um, they're intolerant. What do you mean by intolerant? Well, they don't like people who have a different point of view from them. And I'm thinking, you're doing the same thing right now, maybe. Like, you think that Christians are being intolerant, but you yourself may be intolerant as well, right? But you may, may not say it quite like that, but you're, you're asking questions to figure out, like, what, where they're inconsistent in their beliefs on. Um, how did you come to that conclusion? And you could learn a lot there. Like, well, my experience in church has been, you know, I grew up in church. I actually was a Christian, but then all these people were mean to me. Now you're getting somewhere. Now you're like, oh, this is a pastoral issue. Or like, they've had some really tough experiences at church or whatever it is. So they might throw some intellectual stuff at you, but now I know that they've been hurt. So I need to address that first. So I love those two questions. Use it for everything, like evangelism, life in general. Um, and then I would say the third thing, have you ever considered, this is where you finally insert your own opinion, right? Because up to this point, you've only asked questions. You're only gathering data. You're only building trust with the person you're talking to. And then maybe at the end of that, you're talking about abortion or homosexuality or how Christians are judgmental or God's mean or whatever it is. And then, hey, maybe you say like, hey, you know, have you ever considered that yeah, maybe your experience with Christians was was not great, but have you ever considered that maybe like the person of Christ is not necessarily representative of all your experiences with Christians? Or 
Have you ever considered that maybe like um, the holiness of God or the, the, the sanctity of life is so important that some of these other issues, while also difficult, still have to become secondary? Or, you know, have you ever considered this? And this is where you humbly offer your opinion and then see like how they respond to that. Because then you could, now you're getting some more, now you can dialogue, now you can maybe like share the gospel. Love that. Um, always be asking open-ended questions. Um, have you ever considered we were put here for a purpose? Just another question there. Love that. Um, ask for their story and tell stories yourself. So this is, uh, I was actually at a fitness class the other day, and um, to my knowledge, that woman was not, as not my instructor was not a believer, but she actually opened the class with, hey, you know, if y'all want to talk, come find me after, share your story with me. And uh, I'm thinking to myself, she just invited us me to come share my story with her. <laughs> so I'm going to, I haven't done it just so you know, I haven't done it yet. I was, I was busy that day. I know busyness, another thing. Um, but Hey, I could go up to her after and say, Hey, you said that I could share my story with you. I'd love to. And then I can, I want to hear your story too. And then, you know, I am not even like sharing, doing evangelism yet or whatever. I'm just hearing where she's coming from right now. I know if she has a belief system and all that stuff. So um, I would say discovering the true barrier to what people like true people's true barriers to the gospel takes time. It takes patience. It takes care. And so um, be mindful of that. All right. So now I'm going to say I'm going to put this here. This is probably the scariest part for most people. It is for me, too. Just so you know, um, at some point, you got to like bridge to the gospel. Right. You can be asking you can you can live in question land all day long forever and ask 100 questions. But if you never actually like make a statement of, of what you believe is true or show the gospel, then, you, you know, like you didn't show the gospel. So um, what I'm going to just say here is just pra- practice. Just try it. Just do it sometime. That's how I learn is I just go do it. You know, that's that's how, that's going to be how you learn. Um, find common ground. What do they care about? Relate to the gospel to what they care about. So if you find that love is a very important theme in someone's life, talk about God's love. If you find that justice is, you know, uh, justice is an important thing, like, okay, well, maybe homosexuality, abortion, whatever, that's, that's difficult, but maybe you can relate it back to God's justice or life being important, whatever it is. Um, and I'll tell you this, these four questions here, uh, not the first one, but the, the last, the next, the next three, which is, hey, May I share with you what Christ, true Christianity actually teaches? May I share with you what the gospel actually says? May I share with you what Jesus actually taught? Those three questions, I have literally verbatim used those three. And I have never had someone say no. <laughs> never. Um, and what this looks like, uh, I, I'm giving you all dialogue because maybe that's helpful. I don't know. Um, so I ask somebody, hey, do you have a faith, whatever? And I find out, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian or I've been around Christianity, whatever. And they start telling me all these like, preconceived negative notions or wrong notions of Christianity or whatever it is. Usually, you know, you find that people's theology out there is pretty bad. You know, people have really bad theology, which is great because then I can say, well, not that's not great, but it's a good setup for this question because then I can say, hey, you know, like, I feel like you don't really have a good understanding of what Jesus actually taught or like what Christianity actually is. So then I can say, hey, can I share with you what Christianity actually teaches or what Jesus, most people don't, don't have, so people have a problem with Christians, I think, but most people that I'm aware of don't really have a problem with Jesus yet. So I, I love that because then I can say, hey, can I, can I share with you what Jesus actually taught? And then you can go into the gospel. Never had anyone say no to me. Um, hey, if you ask for permission, people usually say yes, right? And this is after you, you've already spent some time building trust and asking good questions, all that stuff. Okay, next. You got to share the gospel in some way, shape, or form. You got to share the gospel. 
Um, now, if this freaks you out, don't worry. Everyone gets freaked out by this. Um, just know that I'm just going to challenge you guys. If you don't have a way of sharing the gospel, you need to figure out a way to share the gospel. Like, seriously. I mean, it's going to take some legwork on your end, but you, you got to do it. Now, this could be use your own words, which could be, hey, you know that, like, God loves you, and he created the world, but sin came into the world, and he created a way to bridge the gap of sin, which is sending Christ to die on the cross for our sins, and you just need to, you need to trust in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. That's the gospel, okay? I didn't pull out my paper and drew the, draw the bridge illustration. I didn't Romans rode them or whatever it is, you know, that took me like what, like 30 seconds. Just share the gospel. Um, have a way of quickly sharing the gospel. If you don't know how to do that, practice with a friend. That's probably like, I would say step one, level one of doing that. Um, but I will encourage you to use scripture. Um, how many of y'all have, uh, taken some sort of evangelism class or equipping, whether it's ED or unashamed or whatever? Okay. Awesome. A few of y'all have. Okay. Great. Lots of those opportunities here at Watermark, ED 1, 2, and 3, all on the unashamed courses, class core, uh, core classes, all that stuff. Um, so use scripture. I, I like, I often use Romans Road. There's the bridge illustration for spiritual laws. That's a crew thing. Whatever. Um, it's helpful. It's a tool. You know, I, I think it's better to have a tool and then throw it away than like not have one at all. Um, use illustrations, tell stories, all that stuff, whatever. Um, so just have a plan. Have a plan. Um, always pray, um, always invite the Holy Spirit to go before you because it is not your work. Uh, John 6, 44, uh, says that basically you're, we're not here to convert anybody, right? At the end of the day, it's the Holy Spirit that converts. So please, please, please. I know you hear this all the time on, from JP, from Todd, you hear this all the time, but you have to remember that you're not the one doing that because if you start thinking you're the one converting people, then you're either going to get puffed up and get prideful or you're going to not do it at all because you're freaked out, right? So, so just, so just relax. It's not, you're not the one doing it. God is the one doing it. Okay. Um, I really like this and I threw this in here because I love it and I want to share it with you, with, share this with y'all. How many of y'all have seen this before? Oh my gosh, that's awesome. A few of y'all have. I love it. I like want to know how, where you got this from. Okay, so um, we use this in great questions like all the time. Um, and I'll explain it. And you can relate this to the um, um, some of the hot topics or whatever it is you want. So here's the thing. This is kind of a circle of the importance of beliefs or theological beliefs. Um, I call it the, like the apologetic circle, but whatever. So basically in the center of it is the absolutes. These are the absolute essentials of, of the Christian faith. Without them, you have left the reservation. You are no longer believing in Christianity. We're done here. So this is stuff like the virgin birth, um, sin, salvation, uh, Jesus being fully man, fully God, um, the Trinity. All those things are absolutely not are, are absolutely essential, and you cannot compromise on those things. Or if you do, then we're, we're gone, right? Um, and then the second circle out of that is convictions. So these are things that are not core beliefs, but they may have significant impact on the church. These are things that you we could potentially um, break local fellowship with. So for example, if there's a church that believes heavily in speaking in tongues and um, during corporate worship time, which is, you know, if you've been around here, you know that we don't do that. Um, so we we love them still. They are, as far as we know, they are brothers and sisters in Christ, right? But we don't, uh, we may break local fellowship with them and say, hey, you guys may practice, your, your what your church experience looks like is different. And that's 
cool, okay? Y'all can go down the street or whatever it is, um, but we still love you. We still believe you're in the, the body of believers. Um, opinions, so these are things generally not worth dividing over. And then questions, so unsettled issues. So I'm going to put stuff like, are dinosaurs in the Bible? <laughs> stuff like that. Or the age of the earth. These are not going to get into those right now, but like, is the earth 6,000 years old or is it 4 billion years old? I don't know. So those are things that I'm, we're going to put like outside, like way outside, because if you start getting into arguments about those things um, and you're not going back to the gospel ever, then you've totally lost, then you've, you've defeated your, this is a defeat. You know, you've lost the battle. I know uh, I have non-believing friends who look at Di- like disagreements even within Christianity and are like, you guys are so mean and ugly to each other that I, don't, I want no part of this. And I'm like, what a loss, you know, for us to be really mean and divisive on outside, like lesser important issues to the point where like our non-Christian friends don't even want to have anything to do with us. Now I'm going to say, obviously these two issues here are, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go out of limb and say now they're not absolutes because there are, I have Christian friends who are, I would say pro-homosexuality. Uh, I strongly disagree with that. But at the end of the day, um, I always take it back to the gospel. I'm like, hey, we're going to disagree about this and we can really talk about these things. But hey, do you know Jesus? Do you know the gospel? That's still the most important thing. I'm not going to die on the, these issues, okay? Um, but I will die for the gospel. Uh, and you just have to bring it back there because that's what people need to hear the most anyway. And so this is really helpful um, as you're just talking to people like to major in the major, but like not, but minor in the minor, so to speak. So awesome. Okay, I'm going to, yeah. So just a last quote here from this guy. Uh, I don't even know how to pronounce his name, but he has studied uh, missiology and postmodernism at, uh, yeah, he's a doctorate, but Basically, this quote says, to effectively reach the emerging postmodern generation, we must return to the basics, living out biblical principles before the unchurched, developing authentic friendships, caring for practical needs, and giving new, new disciples an opportunity to believe through belonging. We must live out our faith in walking shoes. It is this kind of faith that postmoderns can accept, know, are attracted to, know, are dying for. It is not enough for us to understand our world from a distance. It is not enough to have a strategy of how to evangelize. We need to wade in and rub shoulders with those who desire to reach. We desire to reach for Christ. We need to be willing to live life with unchurched postmodernists on their terms, not on ours. This will lay the foundation for real communication to take place. This will provide us with exciting opportunities to deepen our faith and to allow the Holy Spirit to work through us. And then that's his name. I'm not going to try to pronounce it. Um, so here's the thing. And guys, I'm, gonna, I'm challenging myself to do this. I mean, I, I just confess to y'all, I've been really busy. Residency is a very busy season, and I don't have a lot of free time. And that, that grieves me, y'all, because I think, you know, it takes time, right, to have those conversations about abortion or homosexuality or even the gospel with your barista at the Starbucks down the street or the grocery store person at Tom Thumb. It takes time to do that. It takes time to, like, go into East Dallas or West Dallas to go mentor a kid or to go sit for three hours at a, with a random person you met at Clyde Warren Park to just dialogue and engage them. It takes a long time to do that. This is not a quick, oh, here's a track, see you later, you know, good luck, whatever. And so I, I'm just going to say, y'all, if you don't rec- if you don't have margin in your life, if you don't carve out space in your life to go and like just be present with whoever it is, wherever it is, um, downtown, uptown, West Dallas, McKinney, Plano, wherever it is, 
Um, then my challenge to you may, maybe the first thing you need to do is to carve, like drop something, drop that fourth Bible study you're doing <laughs> and like make some time and make some space in your life. Cause that's where I think some of the, you know, some of the, the magic, so to speak will happen. Um, yeah. Awesome. So now we're going to, I'm going to turn it back to Jeff and he will kind of lead out us out on our last little section here. Yeah. Thank you. So as promised, as promised at the beginning, we're going to give you uh, plenty of time for questions and answers. Uh, if you have written anything down, if you have anything on your mind, questions, concerns, uh, anything for any of us, now's the time. Uh, anything come to your mind that, that you need clarification on, uh, any concern, anything that we didn't address that you were hoping uh, would be addressed? Yes, ma'am. First brave one. Yes. Okay. Thank you, Ellie. Hello. Okay. I had a question about um, the women's ministry, uh, Thrive Women's Clinic. Yes. Um, and I've wondered, like, I don't know if you've talked to the people who work there, um, if they ever had a case where a mentally disabled woman was uh, sexually assaulted. And how do you respond to that, I guess, mm. from a Christian, as a Christian? Yeah. How, if Thrive Women's Clinic... Yeah. Th- here's what she's asking. If, you didn't hear, if the Thrive Women's Clinic that we uh, referenced earlier, if they have ever had a case, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, where a disabled woman like or mentally a, a mentally disabled. handicapped woman yeah. has been raped and is pregnant... Is that what you asked? And how do you handle that situation? Um, I cannot tell you firsthand whether or not they have had that situation before. I can't tell you that. Uh, But what I would tell you is that I wouldn't handle that uh, a whole lot different than than the way that I talked about with some other cases. First and foremost, I would do everything I can to let that woman know that she's loved. Let that woman know that she is cared for and she is heard and that uh, uh, she is made in the image of God. Uh, meet that woman where she is in her crisis. Uh, you know, obviously there there are varying degrees of, of mental handicaps, uh, of disabilities, and so that's a that's a variable that we could talk all day about and, and go down the line. And everything. Uh, suffice to say, I wouldn't change it a whole lot uh, as far as how I would answer anybody else in that situation. Uh, let that woman know that she is loved. Address the crisis that she is in. Address the the issues and the hurdles that she sees. Uh, and ultimately, you know, it's an opportunity to love her and to share the gospel if she doesn't have a faith. Um, it's an opportunity to, hey, you can point her to Watermark as well for the pastor on call as well as uh, Thrives Women Clinic still. Does that, does that help? Does that uh, answer your question at all? I can't, I can't speak for Thrives Women's yeah. Clinic and as if they have seen that case or not. Um, I feel like your answer like, your, uh, did an, like, kind of answered my question, the majority of it. Okay. Um, I was thinking more along of like, the specifics. Like, let's say we personally knew someone who was like that. Okay. And like, how do you help them like, financially or like, get them the, help them get the resources so that they could raise a child? Because if they're not Absolutely. fully equipped to deal with raising a child like that, like, how do you help them? Absolutely. Um, so specifically for, for Watermark, we do have a ministry uh, called CARES, uh, CARES, where, you know, in very specific circumstances, 
uh, we do actually help them out financially. However, uh, a lot of times what we're going to do is point them to a ministry that helps people in that specific situation. Um, so by all means, like I said, 24-7, there's a pastor on call here for all different situations, uh, and they can give you specifics. They can sit down and talk every variable, um, every angle, every hurdle, everything, and they can direct you either to a, a ministry, uh, an outside ministry that is well-trusted by Watermark, uh, uh, that deals with that specific situation, or we might have resources right here, uh, but they can help with those specifics. Um, and I, I hate to go too much into specifics because there are so many variables. Does that make sense? But there are people who will sit down and talk to you about that. So I would say 24-7, pastor on call, uh, and there are so many ministries that we partner with. There is always somebody who can help in any situation. Thank you. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Um, so I have a unique situation where my uncle is gay. He has an adopted son, and my sister is gay. And before I was a believer, I was in both of their weddings. Um, so that's a little background. But So since becoming a believer, we've created great division in the family, um, because everyone's professed to be a believer. And so my question to you is, is how, how do I go to my grandparents and who are believers and teach them that loving is not supporting? Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, so what exactly, so help me understand a few things real quick. Uh, uh, well, let me let me start with uh, it's every situation and circumstance. There's going to be different muddy waters, if that makes sense. Like I can even think of my own family and my my family member who is a homosexual claims to be a believer, but is like, but I'm not sexually active, but I have a boyfriend. It's like what? Like that doesn't even I don't understand. And so um, every situation that has muddy waters, you just have to turn to the truth. And um, so let's say talking to grandparents, turning them to truth is, uh, I mean, you kind of just answered your own question of, like, how do you? You just open up the Word and be like, hey, let's read this together, um, and, and let's go through this. And I'm so, and I mean, this might be an excellent example of how um, you could say, hey, I, I, I did not know this before. I was even supportive. I was in the wedding, and, and going back on it, like, I probably wouldn't be in the wedding. I would, I would have had um, they would have known my stance on it, and they wouldn't have even had invited me. I wouldn't even have had have had to say no to the invitation to the wedding because this is where I stand now. And um, specifically, it's, this is a great question because it also um, addresses adoption. Um, and so this this is one of those circumstances, just muddy waters. And so uh, specifically for uh, – you, you need to have the biblical view and know the biblical view that um, marriage between a man and a woman because all children deserve a mother and a father. And that's key because um, a, a mother and father is just so key within this because a lot of people will say like, well, I'm single and I'm, you know, like there's so many arguments of within, um, excuse me, uh, within uh, adoption and so, th- even with that, you can you can approach that and all the sorts of things. So, I, that probably didn't answer your question well, but you answered your own question very well. How do I sit down and show my grandparents? Uh, you, you should sit down with them, open up the book, read through it with them, and say, "Hey, I'm so sorry that 
that my like views have changed, but in the end, this is what we got to hold to, and this is difficult. And um, and I, I'd say a lot of the things is just like take the log out of your eye, apologize, um, and even say, hey, there's so many desires that um, that I I have to be a living sacrifice I, that I have to put to the side because they're not part of God's design. And so, does that help? I, I know, but in the end, like you answered your own question, so I think is that helpful. Yeah. What you do. And it only gets more difficult with family. Have we noticed that? Like, yeah. it's like, that's like, it's so, uh, but also it's so awesome because there's like an automatic relational capital that it's like, uh, it's, it's a unique gift. So don't always see it as just this like, oh, this awkward tension. It's a gift, y'all. There's a reason. And so. Yeah. God, God's word has given us everything we need uh, to resolve any kind of conflict. Uh, to resolve any kind of issue. Uh, I do believe that. And really, as awkward as it can be to bring it up, uh, as difficult as it can be to, to just to bring it up, let alone talk about it, man, I think you can come out stronger on the other end still. Uh, I'll make a quick comment. So, yeah, y'all remember when, okay, like last year when it was, when gay marriage was legalized and it was, there's the 40 questions that Kevin DeYoung posted on the Gospel Coalition to ask, and then Matthew Vine posted a 40-question response to that. But anyway, I know that even in of itself is a little bit heated, but um, I mean, if you already know you're in a situation where you're already like doing this, you know, you guys are already mad or they're mad or something, then um, yeah, I would say like take a moment to humble yourself and then like just ask good questions. I think a good question I was thinking of, and it's probably on this list, basically it's Kevin DeYoung, the 40 questions you would ask um, about Christians waving rainbow flags. But anyway, like, hey, have you always believed that um, homosexuality is okay? Because I feel like most people at some point change their mind, you know? And it's like, okay, well, if you've, if you've changed your mind at some point, what made you decide to change your mind? Or what? how would you, uh, this patch is like, like Dale was saying, this passage of scripture, um, how would you read this or interpret this, you know? So just like asking questions um, in, in a sense of generally, like, no, seriously, like, I really just want to know. I, I don't know. Like, I want to know how you came to this conclusion and where you see God's truth here and all that. And, like, do the best you can. But at the end of the day, it, it's tough, right? Because it's like, hey, maybe, like, they, this is where they've landed, and now it just becomes this mean ugly thing and then this is where I'm just like at the, at the end of the day I'm like I want to bring it back to the gospel still um I just I'm always just like bring it back to the gospel bring it back to the gospel because even then at least hopefully you can have that as a starting springboard point um because if you're only talking about this issue and then never bring it back to the gospel then I think there could be more there maybe because I think the gospel does transform people too and maybe like you said they're they are Christians or they say they are but I I wonder, like, like what their like, maybe it's like, hey, what does your relationship with Christ look like? Or do you know, like, do you know that Jesus really loves you? Like, what, what does that look like in your life right now? You know, and maybe get off this issue for a little bit. So, anyway, my and two cents there. Real quickly, you could also ask them, hey, like, what truth? Uh, uh, like, a lot of people haven't had the ball put in their court. A lot, like a lot of times we like to talk. And so one, one thing that might be useful is just asking, hey, where do you see this in Scripture that supports this? And just like, and then just it's awkward and sit there. And, and maybe they have thought of it and they show you something and, you know, 
you could you could figure out how whether or not it's been twisted or things of the sort. But in the end, um, a lot of times they like, quite frankly, how many of us have not thought about certain things? And so when you put the ball in their court and say, hey, where do you find this? Sometimes it, they might not have thought of it. You know, it's like, hey, grandparents, how, how, where do you find this? And they're like, well, we, it's just family. You know, it's like, well, that's not biblical. So. That's my encouragement. It's, it's hard, but you can put the ball in their court and it, it, there's, see what fruit comes from that because you never know. And then be prayerful. Yes, ma'am. I have a question. I was wondering if you could bring some light to the gay Christian movement. I have a girl who I did community with all through college. No doubt she's a believer but is now an active in that community and is living openly in it and also like professing Christ in it, like wanting to be a missionary with her partner abroad and, um, you know, reading verses like, um, Romans one twenty four through 27, where God's talking about giving people over, uh, you know, to their desires cause they didn't want him. And, um, and then, you know, explicitly talking about, you know, women exchanging natural relations for unnatural ones and same with men. And she reads that and, and is telling me that that's about idolatry and not about homosexuality. Um, and anyways, I was wondering if you could shed some light on how to handle that. <laughs> yeah, so that's an excellent question. So the question is having to do with the gay Christian movement and the response to it. Um, I, I truthfully cannot help you too much on this other than um, somebody, we were just talking in the hall about this uh, this question in particular. It's so it's, it's very wild how you can read a blog from a gay Christian movement and then you can turn to just like biblical uh, like notes of the Greek and things of the sort and one's claiming one thing and the other is claiming like literally night and day something different. So uh, an example would be from Romans 1, 26, uh, talking about it being contrary to nature and even First uh, Corinthians six nine through eleven is like a really strong gay Christian movement verse. They're like, it's not about, it's not talking about homosexuals. It's talking about um, different things. And even even there's even arguments within the gay Christian movement that if you're monogamous um, and faithful to your partner, then that is biblical. And so there's just a bunch of different facets to it. So in the end, you have to hold fast to truth and study it. Like in the end, like uh, an a uh, a good resource that I would note is Constable's Notes. He talks about Greek in specific um, with regards to 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. That's the one I read. And I just put them next to each other, like the blog that says the Greek says this, and the blog that's, you know, and then Constable's Notes, who's a professor at DTS. And I'm like, I can't even comprehend how either of, like, how these are so different. And so in the end, I'm not a scholar, so I can't answer, like, too well. I can't help you. But in the end, I can point you to somebody that knows Greek and could help answer that question. But in the end, it's, um, I think truthfully, you can twist truth into whatever you want. How many of us have done it? It might be good to point your, like point to it. Like I can think of like just sins in my life where I was just like, oh, I'll just pretend like it doesn't say that. So it might be a great tactic to be like, hey, let me, let me tell you about this in my life that I was blind to, I deceived myself and, and then, and then just compassionately show them, you know, Hey, I don't know Greek unless you do. Uh, Hey, I don't know Greek, but for the most part, like this is what I'm reading. And I've, I've been wrestling with this. Like, I'd love to talk through this with you. And in the end, it, it only comes out of relationships. So you said it's a roommate so, or a friend, close friend. 
So no matter what, you have relational capital where you can say, hey, I'm wrestling with this. I'd love to work through this with you. And in the end, like, uh, it is good to remember those circles. Uh, never, like, don't use those as an excuse not to engage in those conversations. But in the end, uh, sometimes you just, it might, you might have to let go because, I mean, we've all deceived ourselves at some point. And so, um, and truthfully, I don't know Greek, so I can't answer too much of it. And so. I would- yeah, yeah, absolutely. Up. So she's recommended some reading that she wants me to do. At what point is it, so is it wise to get on her level and understand what she's thinking, or is it wiser to not expose myself to potentially become, or think along those lines, like so actually, guarding your mind? Yeah, you know? so actually one thing I was going to add is I think it's incredibly beneficial to ask a lot of questions and to ask specific questions and to listen to those answers, pay attention to their answers and ask questions off of those answers. And essentially what you're doing is, is making her defend her view. Um, ask her, Hey, just like Lucy did a great job of, of talking about the Colombo tactic. And, and I, I would apply this to your situation. Um, ask her, Hey, what do you mean when you say that the Bible actually says this, how did you come to that conclusion? Um, and then ask more questions off of that when she gives you answers. Well, you know, what do you mean by that? Well, how did you come to that conclusion? Um, and finally, of course, well, have you ever considered? Uh, because essentially, if something is not truth, right, if, if it is, in fact, not interpreting Scripture correctly, then with enough questions, it's going to break down sooner or later. Some things break down sooner rather than later. Um, but eventually, if it is, in fact, not truth, it's going to break down. So I would say, man, feel free to ask questions and pay attention. Uh, listen to her. By all means, uh, uh, try to understand exactly the way she, she sees things. Uh, and then when you see kind of the, where the, the argument breaks down, if she, in fact, is, is talking something that is not in alignment with Scripture, that's when you say, well, have you ever considered? Just like that Colombo tactic that, that Lucy described is that does that make sense real quick one other resource before lucy goes desiring god rosaria butterfield who i had mentioned has a um there's a video and also a blog that talks about should uh christians evolve on homosexuality and she touches on the gay christian movement and she touches on kind of the different facets of it that are there's plenty and so that might be a good resource uh and then Uh, Yeah, hey Kelly. So I was just going to say, I think it's fine actually to read on the other position. Um, I mean, I've, okay, I've never done debate in high school, but I've been told by my friends who've done debate in high school that um, you are in the strongest place if you can understand not only your side fully, but you can understand the other side fully as well. Um, And I think that way, when you understand the other side, you can start going through and saying, okay, these are your points, but this is where your point falls and breaks down and breaks down. So, and not that you're going, hey, look, this is where, you know, right? But instead, hey, so I noticed this point, and, but I would, just let me ask you about this. I think that's stronger for you to be familiar with that versus just only like your side. And so I say, hey, for all of us, if you have the opportunity and the time and the resource to understand the other side, because um, I just think that makes you that much stronger. Mm-hmm. You want them to feel heard. You want them to feel like they've gotten their, their side out on the table. Or else you rebuking it is, doesn't mean a whole lot. Does that make sense? Yes, sir. So on the topic of abortion, um, what would be a Christian's perspective from cases where 
let's say, either the baby or the mother's life was in danger. Is that an exception to the rule, or is that something where you just have to trust God's provision in that situation? Yeah, great question. Again, that's, that's one of those things where it's, it is a sensitive topic, and it is, it is a very difficult thing, and you're going to find people on, on um, every, every end of the spectrum and, and in between. Um, where I fall, uh, my, my opinion is that, you know, that, that's in God's control. Um, God has already numbered our days, uh, like Psalm 139 says. God is, is sovereign, uh, and he decides when we live and when we die. Um, and ultimately, that is a tough, tough diagnosis. Uh, but I, I believe it's, it's his call, not ours. And I don't, I don't mean to, I really hope I'm not dismissive or flippant about that at all. Um, you know, God has never put me in that and my wife in that position, uh, but my heart goes out to those who have been in that position. I do have a comment about that question. C. Everett Coop, who was the Surgeon General, he went, you know, he was in charge of pediatrics there at I think Philadelphia Hospital for 30 years. He said in all his years as a, a chief of pediatrics, he never once saw it come actually come down to the question of having decide to decide between the life of the mother mm. and life of the child. He said that's more of an academic argument. It, it certainly could happen, and it certainly has happened, but it's extremely rare, according yeah. to him. That, that's but, a great point. Um, something I probably should have mentioned before. You know, it's, in fact, the, the abortions that occur because of a, a case of rape or because of a case of incest or whatever it is, whatever it is are actually uh, statistically less than 1% of all abortions. And, and if you remember, like we said, there are over, well over a million abortions performed, just the legally performed abortions, just in the United States, well over a million in the United States every single year. And less than 1% of those are actually the incredibly difficult uh, situations where uh, a case of rape or a case of, of whatever it is where you know maybe the mother's health is at risk or vividly at risk. Um, but we, we still bring it up and we still talk about it because that is always kind of the, the big question. Like, wait a minute. You know, what about this? Well, what about this? So we still talk about it. But thank you for that input. Thank you the, for that contribution. The law- lawyers say hard cases make bad law. And a lot of times the, <laughs> yeah. the, we, there's a lot of discussion about the hard cases, but they're extremely rare. My question is to, to Lu- Lucy. Um, you, you made mention of naturalism and how that, uh, philosophy is kind of on a collision course with itself, and and you promised to talk about that just a little bit more. Can you address just an example of how naturalism is on a collision course with itself? Sure. Okay, I'll do it real quick because I know it's like three thirty for right now. Okay. Um, so with naturalism, ultimately, if there is no reason or there's no free will or determinism and all that, then you get into nihilism, which is basically that there is no meaning, there is no truth, or there is no, everything's meaningless. That is the worldview of nihilism. And nobody can live in nihilism. Like you might as well go kill yourself, right? If you believe that there's no meaning to anything. And so this is where existentialism comes from. There's atheistic existentialism and then there's a theistic one as well. But basically what it is, is now that we have no meaning, we're going to go back and put it back in somehow. We're going to make it up with atheistic existentialism that might look like I don't know, some type of secular humanism or whatever it is, or theistic existentialism is 
probably more the liberal church movement where it's like, well, we don't want to offend people about the church stuff. So we're going to, we're just going to make it whatever, like the resurrection's not real. Bible's not um, authoritative. Doesn't matter, but we're going to put meaning in here somehow. So you're making up things now. So people don't, cannot, basically what I'm saying is people can't consistently live in those worldviews. They, they compromise. Yeah. Okay. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call it. We're already a few minutes over. Um, you are welcome to come up and find us afterwards if we did not address something that, uh, uh, that you were hoping would be addressed or you just have questions or, or uh, something for clarity. Uh, real fast, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray. And we'll, uh, we'll get out of here. Father God, thank you so much uh, for all your blessings. Thank you so much, uh, especially for those blessings that we don't see, Lord. Thank you so much uh, for the way that you're working uh, in everybody's life in here. Thank you so much for loving us. Thank you for dying for us. Uh, even though we were sinners, uh, you died for us. Uh, and in your, uh, in your graciousness, you offer salvation to us. And thank you so much for a place where we can talk about these things. And thank you so much for your truth. Thank you so much for your word that you have given us as a guide to navigate through these difficult conversations. Uh, In your name we pray these things. Amen.